thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Everyone wants to be Reynolds strong. It's the kind of strong that can only come from years of training powerlifting, strongman, and working alongside Mark Ripito. The stories and life lessons are aplenty in this week's episode with Coach Matt Reynolds. Several of them actually had to be cut because, of course, we are a family show. Still, there's plenty of meaty goodness on the bone. The guys discuss how you can still make massive gains if you're over 40, what it's like to run your own business, and election politics. Matt is the kind of guy you want to lift with. He's humble, smart, beastly, and down-to-earth. And he's at a point in his coaching career where he realizes not everyone lifts to get strong. It's a mind-blowing realization that any lifelong coach can relate to. When we want more for our athletes than they want for themselves, we only set ourselves up for disappointment. Get an inside look at the Starting Strength Seminar and why only about 5% of athletes receive recognition for the course. Why does Rip hold the bar so high? And when is he going to retire and start selling cured meats at his local farmer's market? This is episode 168. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time again for the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Believe it. Believe it, because that phrase once was a goal, but now has become a reality. It's been confirmed by third parties in the flesh. Text, you recall people saying that at the... Uh, yeah, CrossFit we, Games? We got proof on Snapchat. So it's been confirmed. You were listening to the premier podcast in strength conditioning. Uh, you got me, Luke. Uh, you got Tex sitting next to me, and John's across from me here at Power Athlete HQ. And who do we have on the show today? We have Mr. Matt Reynolds. Uh, Matt has worked with Rip and has been regaling us with some awesome Rip stories, has been in the strength game, uh, strong dude, and has a lot to say about uh, running a strength business and going from brick and mortar to online business type stuff, similar to kind of the same path that that John has been. Uh, so, Matt, what's up, man? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, what's up, guys? Thanks for having me on the show, man. I'm excited. I've been listening to you guys for a long time, so it's uh, definitely an honor to be on. So, yeah, I, I, I guess if you want, I can give you a little bit of my background, kind of how I got in this in this game. I've been doing this for about 20 years. I'm, I'm pushing 40 at this point. Um, I was, unlike John, I was a painfully average athlete in high school. <laughs> and, uh, and I loved, I was really competitive, played a lot of sports, but I wasn't great at any of them. I was kind of always one of those guys who was like the last starter on the team. Um, and it was more because I worked hard. And uh, there were always, you know, two or three guys on the bench that were probably better than me. And so very competitive, got into college, wasn't good enough to, to play college sports and desperately needed an out for that for competition. And so found, uh, found weightlifting, found strength and conditioning. Um, I remember in, I think 2000, somewhere in there, I found an article that Dave Tate wrote for, you know, for T Nation at the time called How to Bench Press 600 Pounds. And I didn't know that uh, – I, I actually thought there were probably three or four people in the universe that could bench press 400 pounds. I didn't know that anybody had bench pressed five or 600 pounds. And so read that, read that article, and it was basically about the sport of powerlifting and, and fell in love with that and started to powerlift and, and uh, got competitive in it and uh, had a place to, you know, take my competitive out. And so, you know, wasn't very good at that at the beginning. And, and again, because I wasn't a great athlete, just, uh, but just kept digging in and loving it. Loved the fact that that strength was so quantifiable. You know, I mean, if you, if you squat more than this week than you did last week, you're stronger. And so slowly got stronger. And uh, I, I totaled elite in powerlifting in three different weight classes. I, I think the first time I totaled elite was maybe 2003 or so, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, and uh, turned my attention in 2005 to strongman. Started competing in, in the sport of strongman in 2005 and then won my pro card in strongman in 2006. 
Um, actually, at the same show that Brian Shaw won his, we were the two pros that won. Um, he went on to become the world's strongest man, and I went on to run a gym. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. You, uh, you're also not six eight, four hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah, right? I, I knew in a hurry that I was, you know, that I was, I was in this weird no man, like kind of no man's land for strongman, you know. So you, I saw these guys, and I was decently strong, and I was, a, I was a good deadlifter. I deadlifts over over seven hundred pounds and half for years, and and uh, man, and then all of a sudden these guys, you see them. I mean, if you haven't seen some of these world's strongest man competitors, it's you know, Johnny, you think about like you've been around these guys that are, you know, in, in football and strength sports for years. And it, it when you're around them all the time, it's pretty rare to actually see somebody that impresses you with their stature at this point. You know, you, we see guys that are 6'2", 6'3", 330, 340 all the time. It's just not that they're kind of dime a dozen. But when you see somebody that's 6'8", 440, that's, that's another level. I mean, you go like, how am I supposed to compete against that? That's another – that's just yeah. – so anyway, I, you know, I was, uh, I tell people that I was, I went from being one of the best amateurs in the country to the worst pro in the country in strongman. It's kind of the way strongman works. You go from being, I'm, it's the jump is tremendous from, from amateur level to, to pro level. And so competed on the pro circuit for about three years. And then in that process, I started a strong gym. We just needed a place to train. I mean, when you do strongman, you can't do that anywhere. So even even kind of more of the, of the warehouse type stuff. And of course this is in the 2007, 2008 CrossFit, especially in the Midwest had not really um, blown up at all yet. So there really was almost nothing there. And so there just wasn't a place to train for us. And so we needed a place where we could do stones and flip tires and do that kind of stuff. So, so we started yeah, building it. That stuff wasn't around. I mean, like I tell these guys, yeah. dude, I, I had to drive 30 minutes to find bumper plates. Yeah. It's, like, yeah. It, it was crazy. I, I drove an hour up to Carson every day just to go train because it was the only place that actually had any type of equipment. And now, fuck, you can't swing a dead cat without hearing somebody being an Olympic lifting coach. Yeah, which, which is great. I mean, I, it's fine. Obviously, that at some level, the, the market has been saturated on some level there. But at the same time, I would way rather have the fact that I live in a town with 200,000 people and we have 13 CrossFits is a little bit crazy. But at the same time, there's 13 gyms that have bumper plates and normal barbells and good squat racks. And yes, you know, so we, we owe a lot to the CrossFit movement for sure there in the, in the strength world. Those of us who are even more in that kind of powerlifting strongman background, I think it's yeah, there's a, a lot of times those sports kind of seem to butt heads, but I think the reality is, is that we owe a lot to that that movement. It's exposed a lot of people to barbell-based training, and, and what will happen a lot of times is people fall in love with barbell-based training and love CrossFit for six months or a year and eventually move on and decide, you know, I really want to get strong, and so they, they move on and continue to do that. So so I did that. We started the gym, and the gym was just a, you know, just a piece of crap, giant warehouse, no heat, no air conditioning, barely a bathroom, um, and wasn't really supposed to be a, a gym. It wasn't a business. It wasn't a delusion of grandeur. It was just a place to train. Uh, we'd outgrown the two car garage after a few years and, and moved in. And so people started showing up and it started to grow. I was a teacher at the time was getting my master's and a football coach, high school football coach, get my master's to be a principal and thought that was going to be the route my life would take. And uh, the gym just started growing just accidentally. Um, and pretty quickly, I'm, I'm very business minded. I just didn't think a, a strength training gym could be profitable. I really didn't. And so um, when we started seeing that that was a that was potential there, I guess to make money, we started to back up and say, okay, we've got to do this right. And so let's incorporate, let's get insurance and all that kind of stuff, and and start laying out business plans. And and we kind of we kind of went full bore into I think that we might be able to make this work. And so um, I read every book I get my hands on in business, and and really did what we could. And and by 2000 in January of 2013, we opened up a it was our third location. We opened up a uh, 15,000 square foot. Uh, in a in retail space downtown hub only owned, owned our building um, and grew that gym to to over a thousand members 
Um, and it was a pure strength gym. Now we had a, we had a CrossFit affiliate there. The CrossFit made up probably 20% of our membership or so. So it wasn't a bulk of our membership. It was just mostly business professionals and soccer moms and college kids who just wanted to get strong. And so we were a gym, it was called strong gym and grew it and got it really big and it was great. And then, uh, I actually sold it in December of last year of 2015. And so um, I've coached for years. I've coached for RIP since 2009 uh, or early January, maybe January 2010. Took my seminar in 2009 and then uh, coached for him since 2010. And I've done maybe 75 or 80 seminars with RIP since then. And uh, so it's a blast. So I get to travel all over the world and, and teach about starting strength. And, and I'm a big believer in starting strength for just basic barbell training for normal people. Again, with the you know, majority of the demographic that we teach is kind of that standard uh, middle-aged business professional soccer mom. I think that stuff works great. I think a lot of the physics stuff that we do works for everybody, but as far as like the basic programming works perfect for a, you take a 40 year old detrained fat guy and starting strength works really well for him. And so, um, so I teach that all over the world with rip and, and I've developed a great friendship with Mark Ripito since then and, and the starting strength crew and, and uh, sold the gym. I train now I'm full-time online coach and I've got about 150 clients and really learned how to scale that. And so it's gone extremely well. So it's kind of a snapshot of me. Matt, I, I want to go back a little bit just out of curiosity. And this isn't to dissuade anybody listening whose uh, dream is to run a gym. But what was, um, why did you decide to sell the brick and mortar and go online? <clears throat> it was, it was a shitty situation. <laughs> you know, it's just, listen, that never goes well, right? So the, the reality is, is that I, I sold actually to one of, so I had two other business partners and one of the business partners um, wanted to buy us out. So his family had a bunch of money. And, and I think it was just a time where uh, the direction of the gym, I was continuing to push towards more strength training and didn't want to globo out the gym. And I think he had a little bit different viewpoint. And so, uh, and so they made an offer. And, and at first, we absolutely were against that. But the offer was such that uh, financially, it was hard to turn down. So um, you know, it was, a, it was a situation that, you know, it was difficult. I mean, that for about two months, I thought I was going to have a stroke every day. You've taken all this time to build up your baby. I mean, we had an incredible gym. We had, we had uh, over 100 guys that deadlifted over 500 pounds. I mean, that's a lot. I don't know how many gyms. And, you know, it's, we, we had, I think, maybe 16 or 17 guys that deadlifted over 700 pounds. We had close to 100 women that deadlifted 300 pounds. I mean, that's, that's big time. And you're not talking about, I'm not talking about competitive powerlifters. I mean, I, I am for the 700 pound deadlifters, but I'm just talking about normal people that just showed up and trained every day and you just, we just got them strong. And so I would love to take credit for all that. The reality is that uh, the atmosphere in the gym, you know, when that strength standard is there and you've got five or six girls that are pulling 400 and a hundred other girls pulling 300 and you pull 300 pounds as a female and congratulations, you can't even get on your name on the board because you're number 105. Um, that's a hell of a strength standard, right? And so I think that's, again, one of the, probably one of the problems that we see in CrossFit. So yeah, we grew it. It was great. Um, there was enough, you know, business is tough and had a, had a business partner that wanted to buy us out. We weren't entirely excited about selling. Um, but in the end, it was the right move to make. I, you know, obviously, I'm still, there's still some emotional stuff there. But the reality is I look back and go, man, it was a, the best decision. I think that Jim is doing well. I think he's doing well. And the two of us that got bought out from him are, are doing incredible. And, and uh you know, love life. So it, it's tough. You know, it's, it's, you basically owning your own business is a 70 hour a week job. You work your ass off all the time for not a lot of money. And then eventually you get to the point that it's profitable and you either then start to step out and hire in people to help run. You know, you can't work 70 hours a week for the rest of your life. You can do it for two or three years um, because it's yours, which can't do it forever. And so then you either hire it out and let other people do it, or you start looking at, okay, we, we make this thing as profitable as we can so that we can sell it at some point and actually get out and do something different. So 
So that was the route we went, and it's it's worked out really well. Yeah, I mean, it just sounds like um, we had we had a slightly different trajectory. Yeah. We did, we never hit the thousand member mark no, or anything like that. No, but we, uh, I mean, you know, at one point in our gym, I mean, we just ran into an interesting thing where we had people, and I think it might be demographics for where we live. Sure. You, know, you live in Orange County, Newport Beach. Uh, the one thing on people's minds, uh, or the, I'm sorry, the one thing that is not on people's minds is getting strong. Sure. You can get fit. You want to get tone. Well, it's uh, almost like it, no, it's it's just doing enough to get by. Sure. Hasn't well, that well that's because thing? everybody's so busy. Yeah. They they have no busy, or they're so busy that they don't have time to commit to anything. And sure. Getting strong actually involves. A uh, like a, well, yeah, it, it's a commitment like hey okay if somebody walked in and said I want to get strong how long is it gonna take you're like a lifetime yeah I mean right. you know, as strong as you think you are you'll never be strong enough yep but, uh, but wait a minute I can be fit in about six weeks I'm sure on fitness so yeah. we, we also really ran into that so I mean like for me especially owning a gym I mean like we I was excited to have people come in and get strong and want to bang weights and literally I'd be like oh do you want to, I don't want to lift weights I don't want to get bulky <laughs> yeah like, sure and even the guys were saying that and and what's crazy is we have friends like you know like you that have these gyms that where people walk in they're like fuck I want to deadlift five hundred pounds I want to deadlift six hundred pounds. I have people that came in that are like I don't want to put one thirty five uh, one hundred thirty yeah, sure. pounds anymore. Sure. And so uh, you know when you know well you know and then you're like well then why are you here? Well my friend said I really like it. And you're like, <laughs> it's like uh, you don't even fucking train. I do this for a living. I own the gym, and you you want to tell me what to do? And it just that is where we live in Orange County, Newport, yep. the most high maintenance place in the, on the world where I'm rich and because I'm rich, I know everything and I have money and therefore, fuck you, I'm going to tell you what I want. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a business. Yeah. So you, you, you tolerate those personality types, but then as you try to shift the culture, it just becomes almost impossible. And I think that's where, you know, we, we pushed for so long yeah. and it was just kind of like we started pushing ourselves away you know, because the sure. barrier just got bigger and bigger and then uh, found ourselves going to a similar route that, that you did, Matt. And we're like, man, you know who we need is like we're in constant contact with people over the Internet who fucking like we're like, OK, go chew on some glass, jump off a four story building and let us know how it goes. We're like, all right, I'll email you in a second. I'm in. I can do yeah. anything. And it's like, let's work with these people. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, you know. You almost want to work with the people that, that have the similar ideals that you have. Sure. And, uh, oddly enough, the brick and mortar situation for us just wasn't doing it. And I literally felt like every day I walked into the brick and mortar having to teach people kettlebells and box jumps that a little piece of me died. And finally, for my own deal, I just pulled myself out. And at that point, sure. we had a decision to shut it down or sell it. And so I ended up selling it to one of my trainers. And uh, we ended up taking power athlete and basically doing the same thing. And, you know, we have a few thousand people uh, sure. that we're able to handle and work with and, um, you know, multiple programs and coaches and dude, literally people will run through fucking sheets of glass for us. Sure. All of their stuff is I want to be a better athlete. I want to be more explosive. I want to be stronger. I want to be, you know, all these things that what was ironic is that we have an easier time convincing other people outside of our bubble to do this than people that would actually physically come and train with us. Sure. <laughs> and well, so at that point you're like, I gotta get the fuck out of this thing. Right. There, I think a distinction has to be made here. So there's there's a couple issues here. One is that for us at Strong, we started as a strength gym, right? We started as a gym for powerlifters and strongmen, and we eventually grew it into bringing in general population people. But what most kind of CrossFit gyms or fitness level gyms do is they start with general pop, and then they try to steer them towards strength, right? And I think that's that's probably from a business perspective, if you have to make money the first six months or the first year, that's the only way you can do it. 
But for us, we really lucked out because in the beginning, I was a teacher, my business partner was in the Navy, we made enough money outside the gym that we didn't have to take a dollar from the gym, so we were able to grow the gym as a strength community first, and then eventually make it nicer, nicer facility, cleaner, better customer service, and attract those business professionals and soccer moms, but the atmosphere had already been laid that this is a strength training gym. This isn't a place where people are trying to get fit, and then we're trying to steer you towards strength, so that's real important. And then the other thing is this. We're in the Midwest, right? We're not, we're not I mean, the middle of nowhere, Springfield, Missouri, there's not a lot of cool stuff to do around here. The town is great. It's a, it's a upper middle class town. It's 200, 250,000 people. There's actually about 500,000 people in the Metro and all 500,000 people were, were within 15 minutes of our gym. So now we're the only gym in the area. that's a strength based gym around a half a million people. And that's where you're going to go. I mean, if you want to learn how to, how to squat and you want to learn how to deadlift, you're going to go here. Right. And so now the other issue there with you guys is, your demographic is such that all you have is this Southern California demographic. Now that you branch into online, what is your, what's the potential talent pool there? I mean, it's, it's infinite, right? So you've, I'm sure you guys are like me. I've got guys from Saudi Arabia. I've got guys from China. I've got people in Kuwait and like they could never, they could never do this. And so that's what I love about online coaching is that, and I, and I online coaching is a sensitive topic, a sensitive topic with Rip. You know, Ripito is very much about coaching. And I think for us, one of the things that we distinguish in, in, in what I do versus a lot of online, uh, what I would probably call programmers over coaches is that people pay for a template. They pay for a workout, right? And so, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. For a lot of people that have done this for a long time, their form is where it needs to be. That's, that's fine. Um, for me, one of the things I try to do is I watch YouTube videos of every client I have, every single workout. So I, I watch over a thousand YouTube videos a week of my clients squatting and deadlifting and benching and pressing and power cleaning, those sort of things. And so I'm able to actually, well, here's the deal. If you're in Saudi Arabia, there's not a starting strength coach. There's not a good strength coach in Saudi Arabia. You don't have anybody to coach you. So this is the best option for this guy. You know, plus I mean, I'm a, I'm $150 an hour in person to hire me in person, or I'm around $150 a month to hire me for a coach for online. And you can hire me online and I can still watch your videos. Now the degradation is that in person, I can fix you from rep to rep. Whereas in online, I can only fix you from session to session, right? So it slows down the process a little bit. So that's really the, the downside. And so I, I think online coaching is clearly here to stay. It's a cheaper route for a lot of people, people that don't have a coach or gym that they want to go to. You, you've got the opportunity to train in your house, in your garage, or in another open gym and you can follow a program and get good coaching. And so I, I think it's a great, place that we've gone. I, for a long time, I thought, look, how is the internet going to really make an impact in the fitness world? Because deep down inside, you still just have to work. I mean, you've got to actually do physical labor in strength training. But the reality is, is we've, we've all kind of tapped into that. Like we're on the cutting edge of, of strength and conditioning and technology that we're able to teach people how to train and teach people how to lift and programming and move forward in the, in the, uh, in the internet world. Right. So it's a, uh, it's been pretty cool. Well, what, what we found in the internet world, and we joke about it a lot, is almost this, uh, you know, fake, false reality, you know, and, and we, we see it all the time with coaches. Hey, if you, you know, join in, I got 10 spots left on my fitness challenge for 30 sure. days. And it's like, it's, it, it's always this short term, uh, you know, big peak kind of deal. And that's not us. And it's surely not you. Well, you're like, you know, we're going to work on this stuff for about a couple of years. I mean, you're not sure. going to be my, my client for just a week or six weeks or even eight right. weeks. Right. We're, we're going to start this progression. And I think if you can explain it to people up front, I mean, that's something we talk about, like this multi-year template, like, uh, you know, and, and part of the thing that kills us a little bit is people that want to, you know, jump in and program hop and this. And I'm like, dude, 
you got to get on the fucking train and you got to take right. a slow train and like, dude, it's a long road. But if you can take the fucking journey, you will get where you want to go. That's right. And, uh, you know, but the problem becomes is that we're so conditioned with this iPhone generation where, yeah. you know, I need everything today. I need everything today. I need it all today. And what supplements can I take? Because if I take supplements somehow, it'll help me along. And we're, you know, in this constant battle with this thing. And, um, yeah, I mean, dude, we, we literally fight this thing on a daily basis and it's almost, you know, uh, through every outlet we have, whether it be social media, blogs, videos, demos, programming, I mean, everything has a unified, very simple message, which is, it's going to take a little bit of time. Sure. Nothing is built, but the, but you know, I mean, that's uh, like, that's, I, I think the hardest thing. And like when, when I sit back and I, I don't even tell you guys this, when I sit back and I look at like the 10,000 foot macro, uh, you know, everything we talk about is this. And it's like, how do you explain that to people that, uh, you know, quick fixes are quick loss, you know, like quick money is usually quick money lost. I mean, the money you earn consistent, all these other things, you know, give you value for things. And the people that have followed the program for a long time end up having, you know, phenomenal things. Also, while I was on my iPhone, I clicked on strong gym and the pictures are fucking epic. Yeah. They're uh, nice oh my God. I mean, like it's, yeah. uh, you know, there's turf, there's, you know, it looks like a little bit of everything and you're right. Yeah. I think, um, you know, at least when I started my gym, uh, I never really wanted to have a gym. Uh, what happened is I had a downstairs where my brothers and I were training and I left to go back to training camp and a guy that I knew ended up being like, Hey, can I train some people there? I came home a couple months later and he had a full blown gym in my house and I got, a, and we got evicted. <laughs> and so then we went up the street and rented a place and yeah. that's, and like, really, I never wanted to be in the gym business and I just kind of got thrust into the gym business. And then you realize like uh, all of a sudden, the clientele and the people that are coming through your door are not the people you want to work with. Sure. And then you have to make a decision. So, I mean, it was really nice for us to be able to parlay and work with people we want to work with, which is, is kind of, I mean, different than you. And it sounds like you were working with the community you wanted. They just made you an offer you couldn't refuse. Yeah. Yeah, that's really, really what happened. And, I mean, for us, like, at any point that you're going to run a business, first off, running a gym is not, if somebody came up to me, some kid in college, and said, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur, I would say, don't go in the gym business. <laughs> <laughs> No, right. Like you got to, you got to do it because you you love it. And and we see this. The CrossFit community is is bad at this because these guys, they you know they they're an accountant or a lawyer. You've seen this a million times. They fall in love with CrossFit. They do CrossFit. They start to they go get their level one. They start to coach CrossFit, and they may actually be a actually a really good CrossFit coach. And they decide, you know, what I should do. I should quit my job as an attorney or an accountant or an engineer. I should go open a CrossFit gym. That's a terrible idea, right? Because you don't know how to run a business. You just know how to coach CrossFit. It's not the same thing. Like you're a business owner now. You're not a coach. You're like your coach second, business owner first at this point. And so for me, I, it was really difficult because I had built up one. I, I built up enough of a reputation as an athlete, as an actual strength athlete, a power athlete for a long time. That had a decent reputation there. And then I had capitalized on that and become a had a good reputation as a coach. But now I've got to go look. <laughs> me being a competitive athlete is way down the list now. And me being a coach is down the list too. Like I'm a business owner. I have 16 employees. I'm hiring people. I'm firing people. I'm training people. But, and you've got to start making these decisions as a business owner. So, okay, for us, we, we always had a business plan in place. And the business plan was not something for a bank to get financing. It was for us. Who are we? Like who, who's our soul? Like, I don't want to lose my soul. And so as we start to, people start asking questions, you start making these decisions about, okay, I've got to make major change decisions about what I'm going to charge or what classes am I, am I going to offer Zumba? Like, hell no, I'm not going to offer Zumba. That's not who we are. I'm not offering Zumba, right? Because that's not who we are. And so while I could offer Zumba and make more money, I had to be able to come back to that and go, I've got to make decisions about who are we? 
And so there's times when like, look, especially this time of year, this is a great time of year to talk. You're, you're in the dead heat of the summer, right? There's absolutely no, there's absolutely, the attendance is horrible in gyms. And so people start going, God, maybe I should make a decision going into fall. Like I want to push into the fall and push into the winter and like November, December and that, that, that kind of holiday season into January so that I can make as much money as possible. But they'll sell their soul to do it. And so for us, it, it was a constant struggle to try to remain true to who we were and kind of, you know, I just didn't, I always wanted to be like, we're going to be a strength gym. Now we're going to be a strength gym. That's the nicest strength gym in the country. We're going to have the best customer service in the country. And we're going to be the cleanest gym in the country. That was a big deal to me because every other warehouse gym isn't that right. Like how, and then you end up with like a um, fucking ringworm, which I got at the very first CrossFit gym. And that's what really spurred me <laughs> to get weights was we got literally ringworm on our arms. Yeah, that's doing fucking like pillars. And I like all these circles. I'm like, what is this? And they were like, it's ringworm. I'm like, Ugh. so that's yeah. we opened our place. But what you're talking about is a mission statement. I yeah, mean, exactly uh, right. Not even necessarily a business plan. It's like this idea of like, who am I? What do we want to be? And at the end of the day, are we holding true to our ideals? And you wanted to be a street gym. For us, it was um, it was really a, a mixed emotion, uh, at least with with my gym because we. Uh, we, we were like the undercover strength gym. We were the uh, the CrossFit for people that wanted to lift heavy weights. Yeah, sure. And like that's sure. how we got the moniker. And then you know, and then all of a sudden you realize being like, uh, what I know is how to train athletes, and the way I know how to train athletes, uh, you know, metabolic conditioning, which you know, we're we're the same age. I mean, every high school football player in America fucking did metabolic conditioning and did circuits. Sure. And yeah, sure. CrossFit just found a sexy way to do it by getting girls in booty shorts and some knee high socks to sure. do that stuff. So, I mean, it's, um, yeah, it, it's killer. It, it, it's awesome that you were able to one create something that successful in a place where, you know, Springfield, Missouri, like you, you wouldn't necessarily think that would exist, yep. but also you tapped into it and were able to find a lot of really, really like-minded people, which I, I sometimes wonder if, uh, if, if, if it's the area, if it's a, kind of the Midwest mindset. I mean, sure. I, I for, fortunately lived in the Midwest on the East coast and I will tell you, People are very different and loose sure. from the Midwest. I mean, the Paris of the Midwest, Naperville, uh, <laughs> Chicago, and Texas from Texas. But yeah. like, there's kind of, I mean, you guys have been out here. I mean, it's definitely a very, very different demographic than what you're dealing with in certain other places. Yeah, I will say that uh, my favorite people are out here are the ones that are not from here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's just, uh, so... What's uh, uh so in, for your own training? I was going to hit you up, seeing as we're about the same age. Uh, yeah. What do you you know now that you because when, when you open your gym, the first thing you have to make peace with is abandoning your own fitness. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's brutal. And yeah. then you sell the gym, and then you realize like, holy fuck, I'm going to go get this back. So like, what do you do yeah. for how you know how are things sure. you know improved for you now that you don't have this albatross called the gym anymore? Yeah, it's, that's a that's a good question. It's dude, it's been amazing. It was actually a complete surprise, to be honest. I mean, for for three or four years, my training was pathetic. I just, you know, I would I would hop into a CrossFit class every once in a while. I would I would still train heavy every once in a while, and and I I competed maybe maybe three times in the in the four years or so that I that I opened the big gym once the big location was open. And so, at, actually, it's almost a surprise. I sell the gym and I start training working from home. And I've got more time and I, I spend like $25,000 through Rogue and I build an incredible home gym here. And uh, one, I didn't want to train in a gym in my town because I'm the guy that used to own Strong Gym and I didn't want 500 people coming up asking me like, hey, aren't you the guy that used to own Strong? And so, so I decided to train from home. I've got a great home gym here and started training and accidentally got strong again. And uh, it was awesome. And so it's just amazing. Like, there's no stress and I'm training and I started doing- You obviously I, weren't doing any RIPS programming. Right. So I wasn't following- <laughs> 
I wasn't following <laughs> linear progression. So, uh, yeah, I got back and started and really kind of started a linear progression, just kind of started adding more weight to the bar. I wasn't really following a specific program, but just every time I went in, I would put a little more weight on the bar and, uh, and got stronger. I actually did the starting strength, uh, Rip Runzi starting strength meets, which are basically CrossFit total, which he was kind of the guy I think that came up with a lot of that stuff. Sure. So, you know, so I did the squat, the press, and the deadlift. Uh, I actually tore my lat 10 days before the meet and then still pulled 701 at the meet with a torn lat, like still bruised, like with a big purple, you know, lat run on my arm. Um, you know, so I'm still pulling over 700 pounds and, and getting strong. I actually benched 430 yesterday. I, I, I've noticed as I get older, I still like lifting heavy. Um, my frequency has to cut down a little bit and my volume has to cut down a lot. That's basically <laughs> what it is. So as I'm 40, I can't handle the volume. Um, I can still handle the intensity. I can still lift pretty heavy. I just have to keep my volume pretty low and my frequency can be average. So I still train usually four days a week. So it's usually four days a week and I'm doing kind of a daily undulating periodization kind of system now where I'm, you know, it's kind of one time heavy, one time medium, one time light on most lifts throughout the week. Um, I can usually handle that. I've got to cut back on the frequency a little bit for the deadlift. I got to cut back the frequency occasionally on the squat because it just beats me up and I can't seem to recover all the time. Upper body seems to do fine. And you know, my, my bench is up in the mid fours and my press is up around 300 pounds. And, you know, I, I squatted 450 for five yesterday, did 425 for five, 425 for five, 450 for five. And then, uh, you know, pulling a little over seven. So I'm, I'm happy. I never thought it would go there. My wife is five. Fives. Fives. <laughs> my wife is the most powerful number in the world. That's right. So, so, so every time somebody brings him up where he's like, five is definitely more powerful than six. And <laughs> that's right. You got, you got to spell it with an A and an H. <laughs> F-A-H, right? So uh, I'll tell you what's funny is my wife, my wife is, is uh, she'll be 40 in a couple months. She's a couple years older than me. And uh, she squatted last week, she squatted 310, and she benched 205, paused, and she deadlifts 375. And she's a totally normal-looking chick. You would never – she's not into this at all. She's not excited about training. She's not excited about strength training. She, matter of fact, yesterday she complained for a, a solid hour about having a squat heavy, and she squatted uh, 265 for three sets of five. I mean, 265 for three sets of five for a 40-year-old lady who's had two kids, two C-sections, pretty damn strong. And I'm talking, again, about a girl that just doesn't give a shit about this stuff. I mean, she just – she just does it because I'm in the bedroom doing it with her, right? Mm -hmm. And she's just gotten strong. So it's just, again, it's one of those deals where if you can convince people, like consistency is key. She's done it for a long time. She's been consistent. She doesn't miss. She doesn't particularly like it. She does it because it's something that we can do together as a husband and wife. And she's gotten strong almost accidentally doing it. Right now, yes, it's more than yesterday, right? That's right. That's what she does. Mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing. It's it's, she, it's, and here's the deal because she wasn't raised in a gym with a low strength standard because she wasn't raised in, and it's not, I'm not shitting on CrossFit, but she wasn't, you know, but you see these gyms that have such a low strength standard. She doesn't know the 300 pound uh, squat and a 200 pound, dude, a 205 bench press for a girl is strong. No, that's strong. Girls can't do that, right? And she just doesn't, she, but she didn't know. She didn't know. I hope she didn't listen to this. She's not gonna, <laughs> well, well, right. like, the uh, so when when I was in high school, like you know, to you know, for high school football to get like the letter, I, I think it was like a, a a sticker on the side of your helmet. You had to like, or there was some special sticker that everybody had. You had to uh, deadlift five hundred, you had to squat four hundred, you had to bench three hundred, and you had to clean. Like I think it was like a power clean, like two twenty five or two fifty. Yep. Um, sure. So that was like our total. And so I remember, like, I hit those numbers when I was like seventeen, and. Um, I remember when I went in and first got, you know, with CrossFit, there were like, we went into training and there were guys in there that were trying to deadlift 300 pounds. 
Yep. And I remember being like, I remember being that guy. I, 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 <laughs> I know, but like, I remember people were asking me about lifting weights and they were like, well, you know, uh, um, and I, I hadn't pulled a, a deadlift off of the ground since fuck, like my second year of college, we only did RDLs. And, sure. You know, and the idea was that, uh, uh, I like the eccentric load to the concentric more so than the reverse. Sure. So the idea of loading the hamstring. And I remember it was like, you know, 585 for eight was always the goal to try to pull it for as many reps as you could. But like, I just remember like the uh, the perception like and then even talking with people and being like, dude, like you guys are chasing numbers that there's fifteen year old girls in Texas that's right powerlifting that are fucking busting. Mm-hmm. And so I think what would happen is is um and, and you you know this dude, like uh all, like it the the analogy is kinda like the four minute mile deal. Like do you remember like they said like nobody could run a four minute mile and that you would die and then the one dude runs a four minute mile and the next like within like weeks like 11 guys run a four minute mile right and, and it was it was like oh my god like they'll never break that the same thing with lifting weights if you go and you train with strong people everybody gets strong but if you're right. constantly around like that brooke wells girl pulled like 400 plus pounds after she ran a 7k deal how how many, 415 yeah 415 how many dudes incredible. were watching that thinking themselves Oh shit! Well, I can't fucking deadlift 400 pounds, and I can't, right. I, I can't do it fresh. And here's this right. 7K, and 20 minutes later, fucking deadlifts 415. That's right. Um, and, and if you notice, Was every one of those girls, pretty much every one of those girls, but just a, a handful, deadlifted under 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's and that um, Sam Dancer pulled 615. Yep. Yeah. 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 Oh, he, he broke his leg during the run. He fell down. Just uh, the turf. So again, going back to our ankle stuff, but oh, he broke his fucking fibula. I, didn't know that. I, I played seventeen weeks with a broken fucking fibula, and and you know what they told that's me? What we told Sam Dancer, you do not need that bone to play football. You don't need that bone to do CrossFit. It's only twelve percent weight bearing bone. That's okay. what the doctor fucking said to me. Looked me in the eye, and I was well, like, Was he wrong? No, I was able to do it. <laughs> it really and, right. and I have a ruptured calf to fucking show it because it was so splintered. That uh, my calf went into fucking spasm and rupture, and they were like, oh, "You're good. You don't need a calf to play football." Yeah, no, and like, now oh, that knee calf. And, that to and, play and, football. and then the best is on a Mark Bell's podcast, and some guys like, "What's wrong with this fucking calf? What he doesn't train him?" And they're like, "I think the dude ruptured it in a football game." He's like, <laughs> <laughs> "That guy's right too." Yeah. <laughs> but, like that, dude. That's uh, but like I strength is really like um, you, you made the point that like you know you almost got strong on accident, but uh, strength is contagious. Yeah, it's like it, it's like fucking hard work, and like you know, even a gym. I mean, we used to joke that like uh, all of a sudden somebody would have a back injury, and then all of a sudden everybody would have a back injury. And we used to joke and call it the uh, fuck, um, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, the, where in the the SI joint ends up? Um, ah, fuck! Like, what's a standard back injury that everybody's like? Oh, I have. I can't fucking remember. I'm an idiot, but I'm sure Kelly <laughs> will cut this out. Uh, <laughs> But like we, you know, people would always come in and be like, "Oh, my back's aching up." And the next thing you know, everybody have a fucking back injury. I'd be like, "Dude, don't lay on the turf. You're going to get a fucking back injury." But like, <laughs> it, 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 it's like your, your place. Yeah. Like all of a sudden, yeah. people come in and they see strong people doing strong shit, and instantly in their mind, it becomes attainable. Yes, and perception. perception becomes reality. Yeah. So you can use that if you understand it. Like your gym is, it, it can create a culture. But that's what we're witnessing in kind of many of the gyms we travel to is that the the head coach, the owner, is the strongest guy. Yep. It will always be. Yep. Fuck that. So and, he's not the, and he's not very strong. Well, exactly. It's but in their perception. But, but here's the thing. Like, I, I always felt that if uh, if the people, if, if I was the best person, like, like if I trained a whole bunch of per, uh, people and I was the best, I'm fucking shitty. 
like you should always be working to try to make people better than you. And like, that was, you know, kind of neat where you come in you're like, man, I'm, I'm, and I remember Dave Tate even talking about that. Like the day that he realized that everybody was stronger than him, that he was like, I've done my job. And he's like, it was the worst thing to my fucking ego I could ever deal with. And, uh, at that point he was like, I'm going to stop trying to get strong. But <laughs> the beauty of a strength gym is that there's not a lot of ego in there as big and strong right. as those guys are. It's a it's a directed competitive ego, but not I'm sciatica. Somebody yeah, somebody's weaker than me. Yeah, sciatica. sciatica is the back injury. Oh, I really would get fucking sciatica. Yeah. We had like fifty people with sciatica once and they were all squatting like fucking sixty kilos. <laughs> working on form. Yeah. So the so the old power lifter that trained me, I, I trained with this old man I've talked about him before named George Zangus. And George invented yeah. the super suits and the and the wraps, marathon yep. nutrition, so he's kind of a legend. And um, when we'd come in there and I started training with him, I was 14 in his garage. And it was like a big deal to have George invite you over there because they're fucking dudes and they're squatting, you know, six, seven, eight hundred pounds. Right. So you'd show up and you rack weights. And I remember uh, one day I was way outside fucking where I should have been, dude. I was, you know, like I'm trying to like wrap my knees to fucking squat 225, which was a joke. I was just so sure. young. I didn't know any better. And uh, I remember I fucking squatted really shitty. And George was like, oh, you should, you know, take some weight off and uh, have a form day. And I was like, oh, all right. I took weight off and I was like, Oh, it's kind of easy. And I, and then I remember, uh, like later on we were doing something that he made a point. He's like, you know, um, uh, everybody's good at lifting lightweights. And I was like, yeah, that seems pretty actually. He's like, you know what people suck at? I'm like the heavy ones. He's like, you know how you get strong or more important, you know, you get lifting heavyweights. I'm like, by lifting heavyweights. He's like, yeah. He's like, nobody ever got strong lifting lightweights. Yep. And nobody ever got good at lifting heavyweights by lifting lightweights. And I'm like, sure. so the whole go down to a form thing was kind of a, fucking backhanded kind of slap in the face he's like yeah. <laughs> and i was like okay and I, we never spoke about it again it was like well, learned. yeah it was like i was pretty young and i remember thinking to myself like all right this old man just fucking nut punched me in a really interesting way and yeah you know and, it, and ever since then like we used to run into all be like ah you know it feels real heavy i want to go down and work on my farm and i always remember i've heard people say that for so long and i give them the same talk i'm like you know how you don't get strong lifting my weights and you know, hey, you know, and I still brush it out to him. And oddly enough, uh, I don't think people took it the same way I did. I took yeah. it as like this sure. like personal strife against me. Whereas sure. other people are like, well, I don't care. Like, That's fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm good at being weak. And you know what? We, we've met people like that too, that were totally cool with it. No, I'm totally not into it. I have no desire to do this. And I'm like, fuck every day I walked into the gym, uh, and you know, a little piece of me dies if I'm fucked up and I can't train and these guys, sure. Suck it. But people are cool with it, and I just don't really understand it. So yeah, I had a guy. So I posted uh, my my clients. We've got a like a private forum for my online clients, so they can kind of build a community. You know, especially this time of year, it's 105 degrees in their garage, and nobody wants to train out there. And so, so we got a little online community, and they were asking me, "Hey, will you post some videos of your of your lifting so we can see? Like, would it be cool?" So so I videoed last night, or yeah, yesterday, and did the did my squats, and my bench press, and stuff. And so I was telling you, like, hey, my you know I've got horrible osteoarthritis in my hips, which is more genetic than anything else. And so I was showing them what I squatted and yeah, my back's kind of jacked up because I pulled 650 last week when I plan on pulling 650 and my back's super sore and, and my, I tore my pec a little bit on my bench press last night. Yeah, it was a little bit of fun. <laughs> so the guy said, God, it must be a training must be a real pain in the ass, like being old and beat up like that. And I said, Nope, I love it. I love it. Like, what do you mean? It's a pain in the ass. At no point have I ever sat in my house and been like, fuck, I do not want to train today. That has never come. I love training. Like, listen, there's times when I'm, I'm hurt and I'm beat up. I, I get it. I get what he's saying. But like, he, 
they doesn't get it yet, right? Like I love the process of training. I've, I always have loved to compete. I love being a, a powerlifter and do, going to do powerlifting meets and strongman competitions, but I like the process of training. And really it comes back to that. You know, this is kind of one of those things that Ripito has kind of tried to try to outline. And I think he's made some good points there is that the, there's a difference between people who are just go, going to show up to exercise and get hot and sweaty and the people that train, right? And the, and the difference is for guys like you, John, that have done this actually at a, at a high professional level, you understand what training looks like. And so then to come out of that and now deal with normal general population people and to try to deal with their psyche, which is I'm not really interested in training. I'm really interested in getting hot and sweaty and looking good for the beach. I'm not interested in training. Like strength is about training. It has to be. I mean, it's a quantifiable. You've got to understand that stress recovery adaptation, stress recovery adaptation, stress recovery adaptation. So when we, when we deadlift 275 and we decide that 275 deadlift is heavy and the next week we're like, you know what? I'm going to do 225 and work on form. It's a wasted hour. You wasted it, right? If you did 275 last week, you have to go up. That's the deal. You have to get heavier. And if you don't get heavier, you've got to add reps. That's the yep. way it works. Your body has already adapted to 275 by five. So you can't go backwards. So we screw this thing up, right? And people don't get it. And so people just want to every once in a while test what they're doing. And for the most part, they just want to, you know, fling around on the monkey bars and, and pretend that they're doing something. And in Southern California, they can do it with the doors open and get hot and sweaty and do it out on the edge of the beach. And that's really what they're looking to do. And, and I've actually gotten to the point where if that's what you want to do, I, I just don't have a problem with it anymore. Yeah. That's what you do. That's just not who I'm going to coach. Well, if you're not hiring me, that's not what we're going to do. It's, it's not necessarily a problem. I mean, like, I, I, I think the hard thing is, is you come to the point that not everybody has the same goals as you. And, like, you know, and even though they're talking to you about training, like, that was something I had to really wrestle with, um, you know, as you said, like, uh, for me, uh, training was about, you know, this idea of I have to get somewhere by a certain day. So, like, you know, the season ends in January, and I know that by the third week of July, I got to be able to do all of this stuff to be able to keep my job and be competitive. Sure. And that, like, overarching fear of failure of going out and getting my fucking ass handed to me, or more importantly, showing up on a Sunday thinking I'm ready and going out there and getting my fucking ass beat from millions of people was this little thing that, like, literally – in the morning I would like fucking pop out of bed, like a spring of like fear. Like I got to go get this fucking done. Sure. And, um, for my entire life. And then I remember all of a sudden I retired and it's like, now what do I do? Yeah. yeah. And it, it was like a, a really interesting thing to like, you know, and I, uh, you know, and then you, you try to talk to people about it and they have no concept of it. And it's, um, you know, you, you made a great point too. the idea of, uh, you have to stress to progress. Either you got to add weights to the bar, you got to add reps. And, you know, something that we found, which was pretty interesting was the idea of, uh, you know, being able to quantify and measure speed and power. And we ended up working with these guys to develop for a, a collar that is able to measure velocity and power and some really yep. things. And, uh, you know, going, you know, and I actually argued with Rip a little bit on this is, you know, going back to my roots, which was, you know, Zangus and also with Fred Hatfield doing the compensatory acceleration yeah. and the idea of basically, you know, bar speed being something to shoot for. And, you know, the idea of, you know, reps and strength and rep maxes and you kind of end up developing a, a kind of a program to kind of really put this stuff together to develop athleticism. And uh, it, it's so funny that I hear you talk just because um, uh, I argued with Rip for so long on this idea of developing athleticism. I mean, he still fucking fights me on the toast forward thing. And uh, I mean, shit, dude. So I, I'm, I'm stoked that we're going to be closer to him because uh, I want to caravan up there and fucking rail his yeah. ass all every day I can. <laughs>
Um, I mean, I just think you get a point where you realize that there's these, there's these times where those things are appropriate, right? So I think, you know, it would come back, you were talking about this earlier, about the way you guys look at when you start writing the power athlete programming, you're looking at this long-term athletic development model, right? And one of the things I've always loved about studying about like that the Soviets did in the 70s and 80s, they always had this long-term, like lifetime model for these kids. So they had these kids, they come in, they're doing calisthenics and soccer and swimming and gymnastics and everything. So they want to expose them to as many different motor patterns as possible when they're young, but it's play. It's fun. It's not, it doesn't have to be really serious when they're five, six, seven, eight years old. But at some point we start to actually build into actual training, right? So you can't build in actual training and we don't even think about this, right? Like we take a kid, he's eight years old, dad thinks he's going to be a major league baseball player. And so he's not going to let him play any sport except for, except for baseball for the time he's eight, like that's ridiculous, right? We don't expose him at all because we don't think about the long-term athletic development model. But when we, so I think when you get in these things where you can argue with Ripito about what's appropriate and what's not, you have to step back and go, okay, who, who are we coaching here, right? Who does Rip coach? Rip coach, 55-year-old, old people, D-train, you know, does a, does a 55-year-old lady need to do power output work, you know, on a, on a, Tendo type unit that's going to measure velocity. No. This, it, so he's thinking, he's seeing things through that lens. The lens is put more weight on the bar every single time, just get stronger, stay out of the nursing home. Sure. Right. And then they, and, and maybe that's 55 years old, maybe it's an 18 year old kid, but an 18 year old kid who can't squat 135 needs to get his squat up to 225 or 275 first and get some. I mean, power is strength displayed quickly. Right? That's what power is. Yeah. There's no strength there. That's one half of the equation. But then I can take a kid who's developed some level of strength and I can start to work his power and I can actually look at power output. There's a, actually, you guys have probably studied this stuff. There's a guy here at university of Missouri. His name's Brian Mann. He's done a lot of work on like the, the power. So yeah. they actually start training he the power plates and all that. Yeah. Power plates. Right. So yeah. they would actually train their athletes. So they would do their, their cleans or power cleans until yeah. they hit max force, max power. So they, they would play around with the amount of weight on the bar and the bar speed and figure out where is my power max. So instead of going like, hey, we're just going to work up to the heaviest clean you possibly can, we're going to say at what point is the clean producing the most power? Now here's I, think it's a, I think it's between 83 and 85 or 87% is what he came sure. up with. I, I've, I've read all of his stuff because, uh, you know, we uh, I've, I've been going back and part of the thing which is ironic that we're talking about this is uh, I understand velocity-based training for an intermediate advanced athlete. Sure. And that's, uh, you know, when the guys from Form Color really came to us, you know, they were able to create a bunch of matri or metrics that we wanted for the collar. But the thing that I took a step back on is like, all this is great, yeah. but how the fuck do people translate this into training? And so right. us going back and being like, all right, well, there needs to be some ebook or just something with some programs to give people an idea how to use it. And then the hard thing, dude, to, to go back and actually figure out how to do velocity-based training with beginners is even more jiggy because, you know, as you know, the, your body's ability to display your strength dynamically is, you know, uh, really sure. predicated yeah. on a couple yeah. different things. Well, one strength is, one. well, strength, yeah. but two, uh, central nervous system, yeah. central nervous system efficiency, which is your ability to have done a shit ton of reps, which we get right. to have, um, you know, intra and intermuscular coordination, all that shit that basically comes from like, you know, uh, elevated testosterone, training volume, uh, opportunity, all of these things that beginners don't have. Sure. So it's almost like, uh, you know, and Rick, you know, he was preaching this uh, years before many other people, the idea of let's just get people strong. And then once they get strong, everything gets easier opposed right. from this idea of like, you're trying to do this, uh, you know, what, what do you call it? Like, um, uh, you know, I'm going to develop all these things. At yeah, once. Everything at once. Yeah. Which is like, yeah. you know, and because we, we run into people all the time. 
want to be strong. I want to be fast, but I want to have abs and, and great capacity. Lean I want to lean. I want to bolt, but I want to be lean. I want sure. to be strong, but I want. I mean, it's like, hey, motherfucker, pick one because right. there's entire there, there's In entire fact, people no, that don't have pick one. You're just, let's get you well, strong and figure it out from there. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, and the the one thing, and and we we've, we've said this at the seminar for years, and where we kind of butt heads a little bit, and I think CrossFit actually understands this a little bit more, is when they started talking about the the ten elements of fitness, with strength being one of the elements. I like was like, there's no fucking way. I was like, dude, strength is the platform of which everything is built. That's right. Because if you are a stronger athlete, will have better endurance, will have better coordination. Yeah. Those make everything, all ten of those things, get better, dude. And and they, and the one is is um, and the analogy when they kind of battled me on it, I was like, I'm gonna. And I I told you guys I fucking broke my leg, and they cast me for five days, and I played about three weeks later. And uh, with that broken leg, they robbed me of everything I had in terms of. I had no fucking coordination. I had no quickness. I mean, they, they robbed all my elements of fitness. The only thing I had left was my fucking strength. And yeah. I was able to play at a high level because I was still strong and I was yeah. smart enough to put my body in the right position. Yeah. And uh, I, I think what, you know, CrossFit and what people are really realizing is that a stronger athlete will always be a more dominant athlete. I mean, even the guy that won the CrossFit Games, I mean, fuck, the guy was, uh, you know, turning up the OTC Olympic lifter, breaks his back, comes back, and the guy's still a fucking beast. Sure. He was able to develop all those other things. He had all that other shit on body. Yeah, what did, what did he do first? What did he do? What did Frazier do first? Right? He was an Olympic lifter. Frazier got strong. And then, because we know that strength takes the longest to build, but it also, just like you said when you got injured, it takes the longest to lose, right? So I, I would remember there would be times in football season as a high school football coach, I'd be like, I'm going to train all through the season, and then you just don't train through the season because you're a high school football coach and you're working you know, a million hours a week or whatever. And so, but you come back and your strength is still not bad. But you're in horrible shape. I couldn't. I mean, I can't push the prowler for three for three sprints after the football season. Not doing it because I'm in horrible shape. But how long does it take to get good at the prowler? About three weeks, right? I mean, it doesn't take very long. And so the, the reality is, is if we take these beginners and we just get them strong, then is there a time when it's appropriate to train the other colleagues' other nine physical skills? Right? Like, yeah, of course. It's just not as an as a novice who is pathetically weak. If we just get them strong first, all those things get better. And then we get them to an intermediate, and now we can actually focus on. All right, we might actually need to train some additional endurance. We might need to train some additional power. We might, you know, whatever those things are, there's an appropriate time to train that stuff. And then what you'll find is as people get to be advanced, you've got to go back into pigeonhole them again, right? So a powerlifter can no longer, like an actual high-level competitive powerlifter, now has to focus only on strength, right? But you have certain other athletes that you know, like train only endurance, right? So they have a base of strength, but they can all, now only when they get absolute top level, they can't focus on. So that concurrent kind of methodology of training all 10 of those things, there, I think there is a time that is appropriate as an intermediate to do those things. Well, we, we also found, though, with, with the beginners, um, the biggest thing that was actually limiting their ability to get strong was a lot of times they were so fucking detrained. So, sure. I mean, even like, you know, we, we had people come in and like literally squat three sets of five at body weight and they were so fucking sorry we wouldn't see them for two weeks. Yep, sure. And so then we realized that if we just did a basic little bit of conditioning with them and just got them in better shape, it almost helped them, sure. uh, you know, fucking drive some meditation to where they were able to do a little bit more. And um, that was something that was real big. And I know, shit, when Rip and I sat down and designed our original uh, templates for, uh, uh, for CrossFit football, a big thing I talked about, I was like, you know, um, you know, 
if we do it this way, can we get people in? And Rip and I sat down. I, I still have the original uh, uh, things he drew on a fucking bar napkin and took a picture of when we ferreted a lot of this stuff out. Because for me, when I uh, when Cross had asked me to do the Cross Football Seminar, it had been so long since I was a beginner that I, I didn't fucking know. Sure. And, and, and I went, when I thought about what I did, everything I did was wrong. I mean, when I was started lifting weights, we literally worked up to singles every day because that's what the old power lifters did. But they were all advanced guys. So, I mean, it was terrible. So when I talked to Rip and he actually, we went back and discussed the physiology and actually I had to read his book, um, which was a prerequisite to our conversation. He's like, have you read the book? And I'm like, uh, do I have to read the book? He's like, read the fucking book. So I read the book, called him back, went over a bunch of the physiology and a lot of the physiology I understood really made a lot of sense. The idea that you know, uh, you know, down regulation, the fact that, you know, if you have one rep, it's not going to be good. And you can look at like, you know, uh, rep quality for beginners versus advanced athletes with an advanced athlete, the rep one's very good. And you see a down regulation on where I was watching beginners and the first rep was shit. The second rep was, you know, slightly shit. The third rep looked better for then Finally, yeah. by the fifth rep, it was something good enough for them to really yeah. pass as a squat. And all of a sudden you figure out that like, Holy shit. I mean, there's something to the fives there, but yeah, that's what I was going to jump in. Yeah. I mean, it, and so like uh, a lot of rips, original physiology and, and the cool thing, I remember asking him once and he got kind of pissed. I was like, did, uh, you know, did you get a lot of this shit from Bill Starr? Fuck, no, I didn't get it from Bill Starr. <laughs> I did this by observation. And then we fucking argued. And I was like, so what you're telling me is that Starr didn't talk? No. And then I went back and read Starr's book. But like a lot of these things, <laughs> I'm just going to leave that there. Is that yeah. the no. dramatic pause? Oh, dude, dude, did you read the strong, only strong show? Oh, yeah. Do you uh, know, I actually have the first edition, first printing of that book. Oh, and my, one of my biggest things that drives me nuts is I, I kept meaning to send it to Star before he died and have him sign it. And so I, I had asked Rip. I was like, hey, Rip said, send him a T-shirt and have him, he'll sign the book. And he'll say, you know, send a self-address, kind of, you yeah. know, middle envelope, send it back. And I never got it done. And the, then the guy died on me. Died. Yeah, but he, now I've got this first edition, first printing, but I was, I was hoping to get it signed by him. So, yeah. Well, he, uh, he, he was pretty, like, if you read all the mineral, like, he got fucking way outside the box on all this mineral shit. Like, you know, yeah. he, he was real jiggy. I mean, so far ahead of his time in terms of strength coach. But a big thing he talked about was, like, strength is a platform at which everything is fucking built. Like, yep. strong, you know, and I, and I think, uh, um, you know, you made a great point too, where you talk about looking at demographics, our, our demographic is the idea of, um, how do we really increase athleticism? Sure. And like, that's been our mission statement. I mean, it's, it's the, our, you know, our definition of athleticism sits on the wall is really our mission statement that everything has to be the idea of, you know, really, did you memorize it, Luke? Yeah. <laughs> Here, it's, God, but it's a seamless and effortless combination of primal movement patterns through space to complete a known or novel task. Accomplish a known or novel task. Accomplish a complete. <laughs> You're way ahead of me. It's a typo. I know, it's a typo. But like that idea of like, you know, does the training and, um, you know, but then you have to remember uh, what's the audience and more importantly, does everybody need that? Sure. You know, I mean, or like you said, do people just need to lift some weights and get stronger than they were yeah. yesterday? You sure. know, so, and, and I think like that's, you know, where people wrestle and more importantly, I think as a coach, like, you know, I'm sure you have to figure this out all the time too. And people are like, I want to bench 500 pounds. And you're like, dude, you are five foot six, fucking 110 pounds. I'm sure. sure we're not going to bench 500 unless you are fucking 230 pounds. Mm -hmm. You know, so I mean, yeah. a big thing we talk about is, you know, what's realistic expectations. Sure. Yeah, we, we go through that a lot. Yeah, and I just I just think that we, we are such about getting it accomplished now. I want I want results now. But people can't think about that long-term athletic development model. And so that's what I, I've always – I love having this conversation with people about, like, let's look at this, go back to the long-term thing. This is not going to take three months. It's not 12 weeks to 
the best new, the best you now. It's not, it's not what we're doing here. You know, so this is, this is a, this is going to take two years, three years, four years, five year process. I, my, my attrition rate is extremely low with my clients because they understand like this is this process that we're doing forever. Now I would like to get them to the point where they don't necessarily need me as a coach. And a lot of times they use me as just accountability. That's a great place to have some of your clients, but ultimately we go, look, this isn't like a diet. I'm not going on a diet for, for three weeks to look good at the beach. I'm doing this because ultimately long-term, I know that if I'm strong when I'm 70, I get to live independently. I'm not going to go live in a nursing home, right? I, I want to be able to move. I want to be able to, and, and look, I actually think powerlifting is starting to figure some of that stuff out too, right? When I was in powerlifting in the early 2000s, it was huge, fat, yeah. bloated, you know, blood pressure, you know, 200 over 105, powerlifters and and finally that again i think we owe a lot to this kind of crossfit mentality a lot of this stuff where guys go like well, hold on a second that's my I've, i realize that if i go out and push the prowler every once in a while my recovery is better between sets i realize that if i do some explosive movements that my deadlift gets better like they started to realize that stuff so there, i think there's a lot of crossover there for sure well i mean uh, i also think guys like um like dan green and you know stan efforting and these dudes that were you know looked the fucking part um you know really made a big difference i mean you know i remember when you know we were in high school going to power with me and you're right dude these guys were fucking enormous fat dudes and nobody really wanted to be like that yeah all of a sudden you see the olympic lifters and they were all pretty jacked except the super heavyweights were fat as fuck yeah. Uh, but like the idea of like, you know, form, you know, form follows function. If all I have to do is move a weight in a straight line from point A to point B, do I really need to be fit? And, uh, you know, I remember, uh, fairly early on, like, um, I, I I've told these guys a story, but I was in college and I wanted to bench 500 pounds. Yep. My, my uh, roommate had the West side videos. So we literally watched the West side VHSs. Yeah. You know, had those. yeah. Uh, you know, dude, I, I, Fucking! I, I want to try to find them. You guys got to watch them, dude. Yeah. They were totally insane. It's like <laughs> Chuck, like Chuck Bogerpole walking with like pit bulls and like you know like like they're squatting in jeans. Like they're wearing jeans to squat. They're box squatting in jeans and flannels. And right? like, they're training in like it looked like uh, like a retail space because there's like like fucking the job it's it, it's the weirdest yeah. shit. It looks like a commercial gym because like in the back you see like a dude and you're like and then people won't be around. Uh, <laughs> But in there, and at the very end, there was a phone number, and I ended up fucking calling and talking to Louie. You know, hey, this is Lou, and I uh, went through, and he ended up designing me a, or talking to me about how to bench, and I ended up benching 500 pounds. But uh, I remember the big thing is, um, you know, what are you doing for your conditioning? I'm like, well, we fucking run every morning. We do plyos. Good, good, good. The better shape you are, the better, you know, the more training you can do. Yep. And then when I went out and saw him, it was almost as like, that had never changed, but the thing I laughed about was Lou was the only guy doing any conditioning. That's right. And those other fucking guys, like Lou was literally dragging the prowler, fucking doing all this crazy shit, and his dudes are in there fucking like mid-set or like, yo, man, you want to go to Chinese buffet? Yeah, they would walk in with Egg McMuffins and stuff. I remember when I went out to Westside several times. They would all walk in with McDonald's and eat McDonald's while they were warming up their bench press or their squat. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, because, I mean, you, you, know, you, you know, you'd always hear all this fucking GPP stuff out of Westside. Yeah. And, uh, then I realized it was only Louie and the fighters and these other fucking kids Louie's over there torturing. Yep. That idea of being strong enough to survive the training has really just been uh, kind of a, a really a fucking golden arrow for us. And trying to like figure out like, you know, what's an appropriate amount? Like, can you be in good enough shape to survive your training? Or have you gone too far in this where all of a sudden it's negatively affecting your strength? Yeah, sure. And the idea of, you know, like even speed, for example, um, you know, are you running at a high enough intensity to be to continue to drive your speed and get faster? Or are you running in too much of the no man's land? Just, you're not a fucking, slow down. Check the box. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's 
that's really been something interesting for us. But you're right. I mean, uh, I think the really hard part with remote coaching is like making corrections in real time opposed to, you know, like, like somebody trains, like, you know, like I'm sure you go in and squat and there's somebody training you and they're like, dude, that, you know, that was fucked up or let's do this. And you, and you can do little things in, in real time opposed from watching sure. videos. And I mean, cause we watch videos on guys all the time and you're like, holy fuck. And, and you know, it's not the best, but it's for some of these guys, it's the next best thing they can well, get. It's it's like, yeah. I mean, you know, like yeah. a, a text and I collabed on a program for a college lacrosse kid. And, um, you know, we have a whole bunch of different movements in place so that we can kind of assess where the problems are. And so I'm sitting there watching all this YouTube stuff. And, um, you know, it, it, was, it, was, it was pretty telling to see uh, if I hadn't seen the YouTube, I would have gone this direction. And actually watching the YouTube, all those videos, I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. There's, we need to go back a step because yeah. there's yeah. some movement shit that's really fucked up on him. Measure yeah. twice. But it would be interesting and we, uh, we integrate, Matt, we integrate kind of a coaching test within our online coaching. So we give them kind of warm-up movement slash assessments. Yep. We, we kind of have them hit one, two, or three movements, and then we watch them squat. And yep. quite honestly, uh, just as to challenge myself, I watch one, two, or three movement, make all the notes, and then watch the squat, and everything we see in that assessment appears in the squat. Yeah, of course. So then in, uh, to coach, all I do is coach the, those warm-up movements, assessments, and then watch them kind of display uh, into the lift. So that's, that's kind of uh, how we, we integrate more so depth into our online coaching. Sure. Well, and, and all that really came from was uh, the CrossFit football seminar. So, I mean, you know, and dude, you, you're in the exact same boat. I mean, we uh, would show up, you know, you fly to some place, there's, you know, anywhere from 15 to 50 people that you've never met that, you know, at the time we assumed they did our training, but a lot of times they've never been to the fucking website. Sure. And all of a sudden we would put them in a situation where, Hey, I want you to squat a heavy triple or work up yeah. to heavy. And so we needed a way to assess them faster than putting a heavy bar on their back and seeing shit go fucking sideways. Sure. And so we developed this deal, which we called warmups and all they really were, were protocols for us to be able to assess people before they put a weight on their bar. So all of a sudden you're going around, you're like, okay, this guy can't do this. He can't do this. Uh, all right. So then these are the people that we need to gravitate towards that are fucking dialed. And, um, it really worked almost in real time and something we developed I mean, shit, seven years and hundreds of seminars all over the globe is, uh, you know, these what we call our tests or assessment tools to really figure out where people are fucked up. Yep. The more interesting part is that after a while, we realized that everybody had the same dysfunctions. Yep. And, all the time. Uh, if you guys can hear, that's actually Matt drinking whiskey. We're drinking water because it's like fucking 90 degrees in here. <laughs> we're, we're actually ne next door to and, a... Uh, and 12 noon. Uh, yeah. Well, we're, <laughs> we're actually next door to guys that print t-shirts. And so he runs these dryers at like 500 degrees. Yeah, it gets and hot. Like, dude, it's hot up in here. But, um, yeah. uh, you know, so we ended up, you know, getting into this model. Like when, you, when you're when you at the starting strength stuff, um, one, does Rip still talk the whole time? No. So we've split up the seminar. We split up the uh, lectures now. So uh, Tom Campitelli, one of our other guys have done it for a long time. I think he probably came out when you had yours, when you hosted at your, your gym. So he does probably a third. And I, I do – two lectures and then I do all the platforms and stuff. It just depends on who the staff is. So yeah, he's taking away, but I, I don't know how he did it for that. I mean, man, there was about 18 hours of lecture and all the, you know, all the platform stuff. It's he only does about, yeah. He only does about two lectures now. So, so do you, uh, what like, or like, what do you guys put in in terms of warmups movements? I mean, is there anything that you guys do to assess people so that you don't have to yeah. figure out where people are fucked up? Yeah, so here's here's what I was going to ask. So, no, not at the not at the starting strength seminar. Although here here's an interesting kind of test for you guys. So, Tex, you were saying you you go through these 
assessments, right? And you see the dysfunction in these guys. What would be interesting, I'm sure you're already thinking them in your head. Before they ever squat, you could probably tell, you could probably say, here's how this guy's going to squat. Because you've already see the you've already seen the dysfunction in their movement, right? So you can say, I know what's going to happen right here. The guys, the guy's going to have like weak, um, you know, uh, like glute medius. He's not going to be able to keep his knees out. He's not going to yeah. be able to, his knees are going to go forward. I can see that this is going to happen. Now, if you think for me, it's just flipped, right? So I can I've seen tens of thousands of people squat, <laughs> millions and millions and millions of reps. And so what I do is my assessment that I have for my for my online coaches, I have them not go heavy, but still do all the main lifts. And when I see something messed up, like on a squat, and I'll say, oh, I see this going on. And I'll say, you know what? Could you video yourself doing a lunge? Here's, here's, here's what I need you to do in the lunge. And I can already tell you what they're going to do when they get in the lunge because I've seen it. So it's really just flip-flop. So for me, the assessment is the main lift. Now, I don't – Squat's the diagnostic. Squat yeah. is the diagnostic. Now, I don't Because it, it is a two-way – Oh, yeah. No, yes. I mean, it's, yes. it's, it's, it's almost like uh, – I mean, it, it makes – uh, 90 day since uh, we just merely did it the, the diagnostic before the squat because uh, people were up well we had to yeah. warm up but people were literally fucking killing themselves yeah they're dying <laughs> too much weight yeah so like we, we would go in and just do some basic warm up hey I want you to do all this stuff we get people's fucking blood flowing and, and we yeah we get the chili hot as Tex likes uh, to say it and yeah. <laughs> it's yeah enough of the chili <laughs> like kitchen peppers I and mean, we got to find something new and then we watch people get on the bar and uh, like literally it was I mean it was a disaster. Well, I felt like I was watching like uh, you know the guys from Broken Lizard making fucking fitness videos. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but the um, you know and the other one too that uh, we really ran into and I fucking still tell Rip this and he like actually this is where one of the funny ones where Rip like kind of was like yeah of course um, whenever people ask about bar position so we teach just base of the traps sure. and uh, we because we've had people fucking do a low bar that was like in you know right on their low back like fucking crooks of the arm yeah. we've had people high bar where the bar was so high it was like shattering the top of their, their deal and so we kind of stopped getting away from this high bar and low bar thing and i remember calling rip a couple of years ago i'm like bro you gotta stop with this shit because people are fucking this thing up like let's go with like a specific location and for us we found that really the base of the traps where the bar sat on really the most uncomfortable position on the shoulders yep. and if they tell me it hurts i know that you know they're in the right spot and really that allowed us to do it but it was like one of those things where i remember at rip seminar like I'm like, what the fuck are these people doing? Like, everybody has a different perception of what a low bar low squat is. I mean, it's unreal. And then we watch, yeah, it's subjective. So, I mean, that was. So, we've changed that now. So, it, now we say spine of the scapula. So, it sits on the spine of the scapula. And we actually make the coach come back and touch their back. So, okay, here's everybody knows your shoulder blades are here. Sure. Look, you can actually feel the bony portion on the superior on top, right? And so, you can feel like here's the bony portion. It goes right there, which is the same thing. It's the base of the trap. Yeah, it's the, yeah. Base of the trap. Right? So it's yeah. the same sort of spot. So, you know, we, we, it's funny now that Rip has got all these people who have followed him. We're now seeing the pendulum swing too far in a certain, certain directions, right? So, for example, when Rip first started wrote starting strength, it was we would do this elbows up thing, right? So, which yeah, is really just to get, the, to get the musculature. Yeah, and you see that. It's exactly what Tex is doing now, right? So that those elbows are all the way up and they're like above the shoulders. Like, no, 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 that's not, that's not what we meant, right? Or, or the hands, right? So it's thumbs on top. We don't wrap the thumbs around the bar. We put the thumbs on top, but we want a neutral wrist. 
And now instead you see people go like over, it's over the bar. They're not even hanging onto the bar. And so we've actually had to start to come out with some articles now. They're like, okay, hold on. You guys have swung the, you know, more than knees out. So we go knees out and these are supposed to go out. And then you see these guys that have their knees 18 inches outside their feet. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I don't want your knees going forward, but I'm not even sure how you're doing that. Like that's. (laughs) We've seen people literally drive their knees out. And so like really what we teach is, yeah, you should drive your knees out, but you know, ideally you still want that knee to track over your instep and you'd like it to go in the same direction as your foot is going. Right. And like, you know, like we were watching people literally like, you know, almost like this driving their knees out so hard that they're rolling on the outside yep. Yep. and keep their big toe down. Yep. And I'm like, dude, like they did so many extensive power play deals where if your big toe was up, what was it like 30 to 50%? Sure. Yeah. And, uh, glutes, you know, and, glutes then, on, glutes oh, on. and then like, dude, like, so this is where, you know, I, I, I think, uh, like the the practical application of people hearing something and then seeing something or people running with it and like literally dude like that's you know part of our battle of bullshit where i'm like dude like let's take a step back i mean you guys have gone you know fucking down the rabbit hole on this thing and uh you know and even for like you know rip i mean the uh the amount of probably mistranslation uh, between what he's asking people to do and what they're doing. Sure. Goes, Dude, I, I remember we were at the seminar uh, when I took it. Fuck, I think this was in 2008. And I remember this guy was like, he's like, well, let me see you demo the squat. And the guy had been a starting strength disciple, watched every video, and Rip literally tore the fucking guy to pieces. He's like, <laughs> he's like that's a squat to a good morning. Like, you know, we're talking yeah. about hip drive, but like now what you want to do is forklift where they drive the butt yeah. and this. And he's like, uh, so it just is always makes me laugh when you hear cues or like, you know, people stick with this methodology and hear how badly people translate it because sure. some people do some terrible stuff with, uh, you know, oh, no, I'm doing a ripto squat. I'm like, if Rip saw that, he'd fucking throw up. Yeah, sure. I, I think ultimately, too, starting strength, that's why starting strength pushes quality coaching so much. I mean, ultimately, we all need coaches, right? Like, I've done this for 20 years, and one of my favorite things about – that's we were talking about I was in Seattle last weekend with, with Ripito doing a seminar. One of my favorite things about traveling doing the seminars is that I get other starting strength coaches to watch me squat to watch me deadlift, to watch me bench, because I don't have a starting strength coach. I don't have a good coach to watch me lift every day. I've done this for 20 years. I squat over 600 pounds. I deadlift over 700 pounds. And I still desperately need somebody to watch my lifts every once in a while to clean this stuff up, right? So starting strength is the best, I think it's the best book ever written on basic barbell training, teaching people the basics of of the lifts with the basic, you know, the basic movements. But the reality is that there's tons of people that still read that book and still do it wrong. Right, they get the idea. It's supposed to be low bar. It's supposed to be hip drive. But just like you said, they hip drive, and the back angle changes. The butt comes up. The shoulders don't move. And all that kind of stuff. You go, whoa, that's where is that in the sign of the book? And so ultimately, you gotta you gotta have a coach's eye on you. And I, and I think that's where online, you know, those most of us that are starting strength staff members have moved on and done. A, we do a lot of online coaching now because there's, there's I think there's about 110 starting strength coaches. You know, we have a pass rate. Our pass rate now is down about five percent. So about 95% of the people that pay the thousand bucks fail and that's fine. Like we need to, we want a high standard, right? But but then because of that, there's so many cities in the United States and and we only have, you know, three or four coaches that are outside the United States that don't have access to a good coach. And that's where I think online coaching comes in and is such a, such a quality thing to offer. So now for a very affordable rate, you can actually get a starting strength coach's eyes on you. And it's not, you know, it doesn't have to be me. Most of these guys are doing this stuff and you, you, upload your video you know we send them faqs where to send your where to put your phone what angles to video from this is what i want to see and able to break that stuff down for them so no rips uh, uh when he actually uh, bounced out of crossfit and then uh, came out with, you know with his starting strength seminar and that i mean i remember he sent me over curriculum and like the requirements to do it were 
fucking like legit. Elaborate. Yeah, I mean, it, it was like you know, not not only do you have to listen to Rip talk for eighteen hours without a break. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was uh, physiology. I mean, uh, the method. I mean, it was. And then I, I believe you had uh, you know not only execute that, but then you had to go home and then be able to submit information. I mean, it was. Oh, it's okay. Here, so here's what it is. You you have to coach all five lifts. So you have to coach the squat, the bench press, the press, the deadlift, and the power clean while a staff member is watching you and evaluating you. And you've got to be able to coach it. You guys have seen this. Like, I, I would like to, you know, I think a lot of people think that we fail good coaches. There, It is so rare that the staff argues about whether someone should have passed the platform or not. You just, look, people can coach or they can't. You get people in here that's like, holy shit, this guy has no clue what he's talking about. And he actually thought, you know, it would be like showing up, I'm going to pay to go to a three-day seminar on being a classical guitarist, and I've never played the guitar, and when I'm done, I want you to certify me as an actual classical concert guitarist. Like, I can't, I can't learn how to do that in three days. You can't learn how to coach in three days, right? So, so Rip says, look, we are not here to turn you into a coach. We're here to identify people who are already good coaches. That's what we're here to do. And then if you pass the platform, two days later, you get emailed a test, which has to, it's a, it's a minimum of 30 or 35 pages essay. You get two weeks to take it and it's in-depth biomechanics, physics. Well, he emails it now before I remember he literally handed it out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's emailed now two days later. Yep. Yeah. I'm I'm surprised Rip is actually using email. (laughs) Well, screens are a fax machine. Let's be honest. Rip isn't emailing the test. <laughs> it's, it's someone else. It's well, someone he's, else. he's actually the only guy I know that still has an AOL. I got one button. Yeah, that's right. Dude, he, he does. Fucking, dude, he emails me, and every time I see the AOL, I fucking, I've got mail. Yeah. <laughs> and he's the only person I know that has AOL. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm like, they, yeah. do they still have AOL? I, I don't know. The I've only way I know is in the, sequence. The, the only way I know that there's an AOL is because Mark Ripto emails me from an extension <laughs> that has AOL.com. And I, think to my, and, and I think to myself, holy fuck, he still has it. I wonder if he's using dial-up. <laughs> he he probably, it, it was probably like somebody at AOL followed starting strength and is somehow grand. got to keep him. it up for Rip. <laughs> don't let it die. opened one portal that forwards to a Gmail, but he thinks he's got his AOL because he still wants it. I've got mail. <laughs> we finally got him texting in the last six months or so. It's made things a lot easier. Uh, does he still have a flip phone? No, he's actually got an iPhone 6 now. Finally. But again, it's, it's, that's all recent sort of stuff. So yeah, I, I can't believe it. I'm actually yeah. I'm actually going to text him now. I don't, yeah. so, who's the catalyst for his his techno like his increased technological aptitude? He hired a guy. So we've we've got a guy's name is Nick Delgadillo, who's a good starting strength coach. Who actually he convinced this is this is the most amazing thing ever. He convinced Nick to move from Reno, Nevada to Wichita Falls. Like the guy actually. Uh, has, that's kind of a lateral move. Yeah, it's not. That's kind of brainwashed. That's kind of a lateral move. Have you ever been to Reno and Wichita Falls? Reno is shitty, but Wichita Falls, I'm telling you, is the worst. Oh, I say, look, Memphis might be the only city worse than Wichita Falls in the whole United States. So it's uh, it's, it's pretty bad. So yeah, it's it's uh, a win, and he does all the. He does all the tech stuff now. So, you know, he shoots the videos and does the video editing and handles the emails and all that. Does, does Rip still have any members in this gym? It's not an open gym. So Nick is also the head coach there. And then they've, they've got a couple other really good starting strength coaches there. So it's, it's basically a private, you know, coaching, what most people would call personal training, but a private coaching gym. So they come in and do that. So it's, it's all one-on-one stuff yeah. now. So, yeah. I, I remember when we were there shit years ago, uh, there were actually people that I think were paying memberships, but it was some god awful amount of money. Like I want to say like seven dollars, 
And like, I remember these guys had been there forever, forever. And like Rip had made a lot of the equipment, but I don't think his, uh, his drawings were real good because he had a reverse hyper that like broke my shin. <laughs> it was it was fucking it was pretty legit though. I, I definitely got to say. Still, I can assure you, it still looks exactly the same as it did when you were there. Yeah, and I remember it was like uh, he finally at like nine thirty was like, "Let's squat." I'm like, yep. "Fucking nine thirty, dude. Let's go eat." He's like, "No, no, no. We're gonna lift some weights, and then uh, we'll go a little bit later." And sure enough, dude, we lifted weights until midnight, and then went yep. to his house at one, and ah, that was long as night. And oh, my other thing, I've told these guys he. Uh, he reduced an entire block of uh, blue cheese with a bottle of red wine for a red wine reduction. And literally, <laughs> this fucking deal on. I called him like two days later. I'm like, bro, I fucking haven't gone number two <laughs> in like two days. He's like, yeah, all that, uh, all that cheese will back you up. <laughs> I was like, and he's like, I think it was, it was some like bought off of like three pound break. I'm like, this fucking guy. <laughs> he's definitely the uh, most interesting human, like one of the most interesting people. I'm surprised nobody has done a documentary on him. I, I know. I told him we, we, re- you know, we really need to do some some stuff where we kind of look at the inner workings of Rip. So he, he does. He does all these podcasts and and interviews and stuff but it's always so focused on training i'm like dude you are such a weird cat we need to you know we need to come out and get video of the house he, he lives in this you know you drive it's about a stone structure it's a it's, it's like a stone hunting lodge it's actually kind of cool and it's i'll tell you this like he's filled it with really nice stuff I and mean, he's got he's got a bunch of furniture in there from like 1690s france i mean like it's legit he's got nice but it's not a lot of stuff right so it's like a i don't know it's probably 1500 square yeah. foot stone hunting he, lodge kind of open one big room he basically what happened and he fucking we had went through like a pretty extensive uh, architecture so he had them come out and pour a slab for him and then he basically dug down and he built forms uh, out of the forms and then he had them bring out and they basically put crushed like decomposed granite rock and then they like basically made this like mix and so the walls are shit I mean what are they like 12 like 14 16 inches and they like sink down and then he's got a roof over it that he collects rainwater and it's, it's just one room and you know, you can only flush the toilet when it's raining, which I still can't figure out why. Uh, but it's really this stone structure and he cooks everything on, a, on an open wood fire. Like there was, you know, and like he's got, it's, it's pretty fucking, I mean, it's Spartan, but like he's, he's off the grid. Yeah. So, oh, and, you know, it's like, he's, he collects rainwater. He's got his own generator. He's got a, he actually put up a, he's got solar now. Is he got what? Solar. Uh, you know, I don't think he has solar. Yeah, actually, I, I don't think he has solar. Yeah. I, I was thinking that would be his next move, but uh, that's he, a little he, too liberal, right? For him, he's too, he's too conservative to put up solar. Well, he, I wouldn't say he's conservative because <laughs> he's kind of a libertarian. No, he's a libertarian. I, I mean, yeah. like, a, I don't mean, you know, I don't like, mean like hippie green I don't mean, stuff. Yeah, I don't mean morally or whatever. Yeah, I just mean he's just yeah, he's true. He's a true libertarian. Yeah, no, he is. Uh, which is ironic because um, most people that I know actually identify more as libertarians. Mm-hmm. They want yeah. less government. And yep. a little bit more freedom, which is kind of, you know, I mean, that's kind of libertarian in a fucking, yep. you know, simple nutshell. But, uh, you know, it's kind of funny when you look at like the kind of, and I, I just had to do, we just moved and I had to, to refile for my um, uh, voting stuff. And so they were going through and they actually like give you like which party do you affiliate or affiliate with. And I, you know, fucking always re- uh, affiliated with the Republican Party because my dad was a Republican. And so I was like kind of going through and even though I've, I've voted both sides of the aisle a few t- different times, I actually went back and I like pulled up the uh, the definitions for voter profiles based off of like which party you affiliate with. And uh, I hadn't really thought about it in a long time. And because in California, you can vote for whoever you want. You don't have to sure. have vote for your party yeah, yeah. affiliation and they'll let you vote open primaries and shit. And I uh, went through and actually I was going through and I was like, uh, told my wife, I'm like, I think we're libertarians now. Yeah. She's <laughs> like, really? 
was like, yeah, I, I, I read the Democrat, and that's fucking not us. Uh, I read the Republican, and that's totally not us. And I, I, I read the Libertarian, and we sound like Libertarians. And she's like, well, what about this? I'm like, it's a Libertarian thing. She's like, yeah. uh, what about this? I'm like, Libertarian. She's like, yeah. Libertarians. So that's what, that's what I identified with on my new party. That's, well. that's what I am. I think it brings the world together, man. Libertarians, you know, because here, here we are. I live in the Midwest. Buckle the Bible Belt, right? So everybody is very, like, morally conservative here, socially conservative. I just came from Seattle where everybody is the exact opposite from a moral social standpoint, but they're all still libertarian, right? So, like, you go into Seattle and it's like, you know, weed is legal, but they have really relaxed gun laws. They have guns all over the place in Seattle. Like you wouldn't probably wouldn't think that, right? So you know that they're trying to actually. I just read a deal uh, that they're trying to uh, basically huge funding, and they don't know where it's coming from, but huge funding for anti-gun lobbies in Oregon and Washington, and they are dumping huge amounts of money into candidates that will be anti-gun thing. And they, yeah. their, their goal is to ban the evil black assault rifle. Yeah, right. So uh, in the in the deal, but yeah, the um, uh, you know, but one of our coaches, uh, she ended up leaving here and moving up to Seattle. And, uh, she's like, honestly, I don't really know what would upset people up there. She's like, honestly, like, like, and and it's kind of a libertarian deal where it's like, Hey, uh, I'm not really into your fucking business. Like, you know, like I, I think like that's the biggest thing, at least at my age where, you know, we're similar age is like, Hey man, like take care of your fucking self, dude. I don't really give a shit. Don't steal from me. Yeah. Fucking. Yeah. Just be a normal fucking asshole yeah. and stay if, away. If you want to smoke weed in the fucking comfort of your own home, I don't give a Yeah, shit. we don't care. If, yeah. if you want to you fucking... Want to, you want to marry anybody you want to marry. Yeah. You want to go marry yeah. your horse for all I care. I don't care. It doesn't well, and then the, the idea, I mean, like, like the gay marriage thing, I'm like, I personally think that straight people should not be allowed to get married. <laughs> Why should gay people be the only ones to fucking avoid it? But <laughs> here, like, here, here's my thought, dude. Like, uh, people talk about the sanctity of marriage. I'm like, dude, uh, the sanctity of marriage got fucking shit canned years ago. And anybody listening to it, I'm like, dude, if two men want to want to get married, because I mean, if you look at it, like marriage is gone far past what they look at, like a religious deal. It's a it's a a, a legal agreement between two. Yes, men. it's legal. Why is it if I get a divorce, I have to give my wife pretty much any everything, and I get to leave with two socks and maybe my truck? But uh, like, it, it's fucking insane. So then you look at like health insurance. You look at all the legal ramifications of marriage, right? Based on just like you know health insurance, four hundred one k. All of these things, but yet they take it back to like, oh, well, the Bible says it's between a man and a woman. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, like, you can't have it both. I mean, that's, you know, and the other yeah. thing, too, is, uh, you know, and what I appreciate about the libertarian deal is they're like, uh, our founding fathers made a very, very distinction between church and state, that they should be fucking completely separate, that religion should not enter into the, you know, to the policy of the politics, but yet you have people that are entirely governed by their religion, which is fine. That's a personal decision. But like, if you go back and you look at our founding fathers, they were fucking more libertarian than anything. Sure, sure. And, and it's, uh, it goes it goes both ways, right? You want to keep. So you they saw the problem of the the Catholic Church and the power that they had in the you know back in like the 1500s. That's why you had the, the Reformation at the time because of the power it had politically. So you, you just I'll make one real quick point here. When it comes back to your personal view on like on marriage, what marriage is, the, the reality is we, we ask, we're like, wait a minute, okay, so the federal government has, we've got to decide whether it's okay if there's gay marriage in the federal government. Well, you're asking the wrong question. Why does the federal government get to define yeah. marriage in the first place? That's the question. 
not not why do they get to choose if gay marriage is real marriage and straight marriage is whatever, right? It's like, hold on, the federal government shouldn't get to define marriage in the first place. It has no, that has nothing to do with the federal government, right? So well, it's, I think it's, that they were defining it because the idea of a legal civil union between two people where you effectively share assets and so and sure. it, everything it's goes tax back to money. It's tax ramifications, right? Right. It's so then, if that's then, exactly right. So why have is it that you can block one? Sorry, cut you off. But like, why is right. it block it? And like to me, that that was the one thing I could never figure out. I'm like, sure. Well, if if, if we've already decided that marriage is a union, like uh, you know, I mean, because dude, you get married by a, a, a you know, you go to a church, then you have to go down to city hall and you get married, you know, by a justice of the peace or whatever right. it is to make it an official marriage. So it's like, I, it makes no sense to me. Like, sure. and then the other one too is uh. Um, you know, and if you look at a lot of libertarian stuff, I mean, like the gun laws, they were like, you you want to hunt, you want to own guns, it's fine, be a responsible person. So it's almost like putting the iotas back on the individual instead of this idea that we have to create a system of laws to parent people. To, you know, and it's like, fucking A, dude. Like, like, do we need any more laws? I, and my, my favorite is all of our cop friends. I ask them uh, whenever I see any of these laws come out. They don't even know what the fucking law is. Sure. What are you like, talking about? Like, like uh, yeah, like uh, <laughs> one, uh, one of our good friends is one of the sergeants for Huntington. Um, he like came over and I was like, Oh shit, did you see old uh, Jerry Brown signing all these new gun laws? He's like, what, which ones? And I like read it to him. He's like, honestly, I didn't even know that was illegal. He's like, dude, he goes, do you know how many fucking different laws are like, he goes, dude, there's entire volumes. He goes, uh, like, they couldn't you know. keep up with them. Yeah. yeah. He, he's like, how are we supposed to even keep up with half of this right. stuff? I mean, he's like, I just go up to the basic one. Are you doing harm to another person? Are you stealing property? And are you burning any shit in the street? Yeah. If, right. if the answer is no, we're probably just going to let you slide. Unless yeah. you know, some guy has got to write some fucking tickets. Don't go 100 on Newport Boulevard. Or, yeah. you know? But it, it's, it's, uh, it just was Which ironic is, to me that I had to go back and actually re-look at like, not only the, the political stance of this country, but like the political kind of ideology of each of these parties and realize sure. that, my fuck, I don't really associate or really identify with either or any of this shit. Yep. So that was kind of a, a wake up call for me yesterday. Yep. I'm the same. Yep. So, and I, I got my, my degree of my undergrad is in social sciences. So I took a lot of political science stuff. I became very disenfranchised with politics when you take classes in that stuff and you realize what you're dealing with here. But I'm kind of the same way. I just, you know, I've got my personal beliefs. I just don't think that my personal beliefs are necessarily, I need the government, the federal government. Again, and I, if you want to live in a state, if a state wants to make something, I got no problem with that. I would actually would rather have the state government have a little more power anyway that compared to the federal government. I'm not into anarchy. I think the federal government provides for the defense of our country and you know all the, the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness that it, it's called to do in, in the Constitution. That all makes perfect sense. But when we start defining things in the federal government, how often does the federal government put their hands in stuff and make extra rules and it goes well? Not very often. Well, right. I, uh, yeah, I mean, and you, you make the point. Like, at, I always think about this. At which point has anybody been involved in anything where actually more rules and more bureaucracy made anything better? Better. That's right. Like, I, I always think, like, if you like, the, the more simple it could be, I mean, fuck, like, just the, uh, like, whenever I get my taxes done and we do any of our stuff, I get on the phone and I, and I go over with my accountant and just, like, listening to her talk about tax laws and ramifications oh, this year, but this year, I get to the point where I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me. I'm like, isn't there an easier way to do this? And yes, the, of course there's that. an easier way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. Like, what about just national, a, uh, uh, national like a sales tax or whatever, just a standard fair tax, a national sales tax. Like, okay, we're all, what if just everything you bought had a national sales tax on it? There was no more income tax so that for the most part, rich people buy more stuff and poor people buy less stuff. And if you want to pay less taxes this year, you buy less stuff. That's the way it works, right? But if you want to, that, that makes too much no income. 
that's makes way too much sense, right? Yeah, way too simple way too to much fix sense. this stuff. So it's it's and and so if that's the case and there's no income tax, then there's no reason for the federal government to define marriage because it doesn't matter if because I don't have to file joint married income tax because there is no such thing, right? So that's that's the question. The question is, I totally understand as long as we're going to have taxes. There, and you're going to get taxed at a different rate if you're single or a different rate if you're married, then the federal government has to define marriage. You have to define marriage then. But if you don't ever do that in the first place, I, you know, one of my favorite things about, uh, I, it's, I think it's Food Inc. Right? You guys have all seen Food Inc. And when Joel Salatin's talking in Food Inc., where he says, we get really good at the how in the United States and we're horrible at asking why, right? We get real good at feeding cows corn in feedlots and nobody says, holy shit, why are cows eating corn in feedlots? Mm -hmm. why, why do we even have feedlots? Like feedlots are like, like we, we're good at keeping cows from having a coli while they're standing on top of each other in their own shit. Why are they standing on top of each other in their own shit? That doesn't make any sense, right? And so that's what we're good at in the U.S. We get good at, at fixing the how and real shitty at asking why things are. Well, or my other favorite one with our Obamacare, uh, you know, we add all these people into our insurance pool, ideally to make insurance affordable. But all that we know is that our insurance costs went through the roof. And actually, the, the insurance company we were at went out of business, and then we had to go with another one. Yep. But yet, we did nothing to add a single doctor, nurse, or any other yep. uh, medical practitioner. So you add all these people into the pool, but yet we have you know, uh, you know, this whole deal. But then also, if you don't want to do it, we get to punish you. Yeah, you're, you're like, punished. It's, it, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, the same thing. Our, our insurance went from $271 a month to $800 a month. Exactly. For actually slightly worse insurance. insurance. Right? Dude, and they were like, look, it's got to be cheaper no. for everyone. Dude, oh, hold on. How could it be cheaper for everyone? Dude, ours went up, which, which is crazy, uh, for my wife and my three kids. So now we pay like, I mean, it's fucking it's like 1200 bucks, 1500 bucks a month. Yeah. And the crazy part is every time we go to the doctor, they deny us for something. So like, right. oh, uh, um, ooh, yeah, like I, I just had to pay for uh, dental because uh, dental wasn't on there. Or uh, my wife got a prescription that she, she was like, yeah, they, they didn't cover anything. I'm like, we, our other insurance fucking covered everything at a dental. And all of a sudden, yeah. now we pay double. And I'm like, like it's a fucking scam. Yep. And uh, like my, my dad and I argued pretty good on this. And my dad's like, you know, everybody should have the, uh, the right to insurance. I'm like, everybody has the ability to have insurance. He's like, well, it's not affordable. And I'm like, but you can't have standardized fucking medical health care with people that do not take their health care seriously. That's right. I, I remember when I was in uh, uh, Norway and Sweden in those Baltic countries, uh, I remember sitting on a plane with a guy and he's like, um, I would never want to be in a pool with a bunch of Americans. You guys don't give a fuck about your health. He's like, here, you know, people look at it as a national identity to be healthy and exercise, and they look at not being a burden on the thing. I'm like, you guys have a situation through your social regime that you guys are fucking creating burdens. And he's like, how can you have a so standardized, uh, socialized healthcare with that? And I'm like, you know, and yet we still believe that we're a, a, a fucking democracy. We're a socialist country, dude. Social security, standardized healthcare. I mean, dude, we're socialists at fucking heart. So I think it's ironic that we uh, don't have, you know, more socially, we don't have a socialist, but well, we almost said Bernie Sanders. It's the irony of the Bernie Sanders thing, and all, I don't know if you guys saw the Democratic stuff came out. Uh, they knew that if Bernie Sanders would run against Trump, he would win, and that Hillary probably won't win. And yet they right. still fucking pushed Hillary to the front. Right. Yep. I mean, dude, did you see at the Democratic convention, half of the convention walked out, and he had to get up and stop the fucking booze when he got up and basically fucking uppreds all of the legions. So pretty interesting, dude. <laughs> uh, we're, we're, I mean, these are interesting times and things yeah, that – I mean, but I always love going on political talks. Which is probably, oh, I love it. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's because uh, I feel like sometimes I'm taking crazy pills. 
like um, I, I posted something on Facebook yesterday. Um, every time I hear Donald Trump say something crazy, I, I, the only thing I'm sad about is George Carlin still isn't alive. <laughs> he died eight years ago. And so I went back and I was watching some of Carlin's videos. And literally there was one from like, you know, what it was like 12 years ago, or actually I think right before he died. Um, and he, I, I think it was before Obama got in. And he was, uh, it was just true today. He's like, you guys think you have a fucking choice? You don't have a choice. You guys are 100% puppets by what the fucking rich people and the yep. people that are controlling this country want you to do. And it's a fucking illusion. And so I posted it on Facebook and people were like, how long ago was this? I'm like, dude, it's for the same thing that like, you know, the worst thing to ever happen to politics was John Stewart getting off the air. I mean, uh, uh, the only guy that I actually called bullshit. Dude, dude right. politicians were fucking scared to death of John Stewart sure. lambasting them on the daily show. And, uh, you know, like they're, they're trying to pull that dude back just to have a fucking barometer. And I know a lot of people don't like him. I think he's fucking great. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. It's awesome. and, and, and you know why? Cause he's actually like, uh, you know, I think people get so caught up in the hoopla on this. I mean, um, I, I have a bunch of friends that are big Trump supporters and my comment to them is, can you give me at least any policy that he's come out with? Like anything concrete, like, like, sure. like, you know, cause people ask him, Hey, if it's, I'm going to make it great. Trust me. It's going to yeah. be beautiful. Oh, well. like, that's not a policy. That's a, yeah. uh, uh, you know, that's kind of a grandiose statement. So, yeah. you know, anytime people are like, Oh, Trump, you know, make America great. I'm like, well, can you tell me how he's going to make America great? Yeah, it's a, like, it's a pep, pep rally. Yeah, probably from high school. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm like, and, and I'm not insulting the guy. I'm like, I, you know, I mean, uh, you know, the fact that he didn't release his tax returns to me is fucking shady. Seeing as every other, uh, you know, presidential candidate in history has released their tax returns as since we've had the tax returns in the '30s, but he didn't release them. So why doesn't he release his tax returns? That's kind of weird to me. Yeah, you know, from, strangely enough, he's probably going to win uh, because they, you know, people don't trust Hillary Clinton. Who knows? And, um, and you know what? And we could have ended up with a socialist president with Bernie Sanders, but the Democratic National Convention completely fucking fried him. And they have all those emails. And That's all those great. fucking, yeah. I mean, <laughs> dude, they, they have uh, recordings of people calling the Democratic uh, Party, leaving voicemails. Why the fuck are you helping Bernie Sanders? He's, you know, I mean, it's, it's we're in a fucked up place, dude. And I'm, uh, yeah, I, I don't really know how this whole thing's going to go down. What do you guys think? Oh, I'm sorry, I've talked too much. <laughs> you guys are just smiling. Well, yeah. it's, you're, we, you haven't taken an inhale. I didn't know your lung could <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, 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 I like. That's what you call it. I mean, honestly, dude, the machine will just keep rolling. Yeah. I mean, it, it's what it, I've said for it, fucking it, it, months. Does it really matter who's at the head of this thing that the uh, right. power, the true power of this thing really rests behind the throne? That the guys like, uh, you know, uh, Ryan, who's the, you know, the the head of the, the, the speaker. I mean, that's where the real party lies in terms sure. of that. I mean, but yet, uh, you know, and then they put a guy like Trump in and they just fucking stone all the shit out of him and he doesn't get anything done for four years. Sure. And they put in Hillary and they do the same shit. Yep. I mean, that's the problem having a polarized Congress. Polarized I just think, country, man, polarized. I just think that this shit has happened in the past. Just the accessibility to information globally and uh, how do you know when the last elaborate time? the media is that like the, I, something this ridiculous has had to have happened in do the you, past. Do you know when the last time we elected a president that did not have any political uh, experience? Do you know what it was? No civil war. Right? No Dwight Eisenhower. He basically fucking leader of our entire military. They brought him in and he ran and he was actually a great president. Mm -hmm. So, I mean like, but look at what he did. I mean, you know, his, uh, you know, his military uh, service and what he did and like his ideals and really he was like uh, an honorable person. You know, now we're in a situation where, you know, 
fucking potentially the next president of the United States was on WWE body slamming Vince McMahon. <laughs> and I mean, it, it's like, dude, like, if, I mean, I'm just wondering if this is, uh, what was the movie? Uh, Idiocracy. I, yeah. I feel like we're there. I mean, we're yeah, going to yeah. start watering the lawn with fucking Ted. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, I, I'll tell you though, I mean, um, I, I don't really know if there, if we'll ever have the ability to have a third party candidate, but I'll tell you, having a third party candidate would probably shake the shit up a little bit. It would, it would. It's, we've got to be going that direction and it's, it'll probably be the libertarians, but it, it may not be, but a third party will eventually shake it up. That's what it's going to have to take. And I, I think most of our generation, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're kind of on the older end of that spectrum, but most of that kind of 25 to 40 year range, I think is at the point where they're going, okay, I, I'm, I'm not in the encampment of either Democrats or Republicans. Like, I don't know what I am, but I'm not one of those, right? And so for us, we can go like, well, we're libertarian. And usually when you can walk through walk people through it, they go, hmm, I think I might be libertarian too. Like, yeah, but, but a libertarian can't win. So I'm, not gonna, I'm like, look, man, I cannot vote for the lesser of two evils. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to vote for the lesser of two evils, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to vote for, and my, my guy will probably lose. That's fine. I at least can go to bed at night going, I didn't vote for the lesser of two evils. I'm not going to make that decision. If, if you think about it, you, you basically have a situation where you look at it and you're like, okay, uh, the Democratic convention is coming out with this whole, and I, I just watched Biden's whole deal and, and Obama. and they, I mean, all it is is about um, vote for Hillary because Trump's a disaster. You yeah. know, like, I mean, that, that was their whole platform. And then uh, I loved when Obama got up and said, you know, that you know Hillary Clinton is uh, far more qualified to run this thing than Bill and, and myself and I thought that was, you know, I mean, he, dude, whoever his yeah. speechwriter is, is yeah, crush it. Obama could fucking deliver. I mean, that's the one thing. I mean, the dude's good speaker, but yeah. uh, uh, you know, and then, and then you got you know Trump on the other side, where I mean, fuck, dude, they're. I mean, all they are is talking about how uh, you know irresponsible Hillary is and how she fucked up. The, I mean, all of these things that she's done. I mean, it's like, and the fact that like they're playing on this idea of like don't vote for this person or vote for me because you don't want this person in power instead of being like i'm a candidate that's gonna fucking hopefully right the ship and these are the problems that we see in the country and like this i mean it's just it's fucked and you know what as a parent uh you know i I constantly have to look at this thing between you know my, my dad told me this years ago that you know as a parent you almost have to look at the decisions that you're making uh, you know, how they are going to affect your child. You know, are you leaving this earth a better place? And, um, you know, that was something that, uh, you know, you said, but look, going back to Carlin, you, you, it's the illusion of control, bro. It's yeah. the illusion of control. hundred percent illusion of control. And I think the problem is, is that people feel that they can't make it, uh, you know, it's so far gone, you know, there, there, there's no way for us to be able to do anything. So then therefore I'll just fucking tap out, which while Carlin was amazing and a hilarious dude, the comment that he said is I just fucking, you know, back out. Now I sit in the audience eating popcorn, making commentaries about the fucking, uh, uh, sideshow. And to me, I mean, you know, while that's pretty hilarious, I mean, that's a terrible fucking position to take, sure. you know, like, Hey, you're just going to divorce yourself of all reality. So I'm not going to have an opinion anymore because I can't do anything. And I think that's how a lot of people feel. And I think that's kind of pop out a little bit. I mean, while I appreciated it, I was kind of bummed. I'm like, fuck, like, in today's day, George Carlin could probably fucking get up and win. <laughs> you know, I mean, dude, like people want, or we're talking about writing in the rock, Dwayne Johnson, dude, sure. he might win 30% of the fucking deal. I mean, dude, how <laughs> well, hilarious would be 100% of this? this call. Yeah. I mean, dude, <laughs> if the rock's on the, I'll, I'll write it in the rock. I mean, you know, like, like yeah, I mean, yeah. Dude. yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it definitely was funny. I, I never really identified myself as that until I went back and read all the party, party kind of, you know, pros and cons in this. I mean, 
the the deal with abortion is uh, you know another interesting one. You know, you're like, hey man, it doesn't work for me personally, and I, I don't subscribe to it. But it doesn't mean that you know we should fucking outlaw people from doing it. These people should make their own decisions. I mean, it's like you kind of take a step back and you're like, hey, you know what? We need less government. We need more people to take some fucking social responsibility for themselves. I'm like, if there's a party with that, I want to identify with that one. So yeah, ultimately, when you think about, it, we're probably all kindred spirits here. The four of us, like, my biggest pet peeve on earth is laziness and people who don't take personal responsibility, right? And so ultimately, I just want people that will stand for, just like you said, social responsibility. Can we just be responsible and take responsibility for our actions here, right? And, you know, you talk about raising your kids. We homeschool our kids and that kind of idiocracy sort of idea like the, of the movie that's kind of a prophetic movie. But the reality is that there's a there's two-sided spectrum to that. One of that is, man, we're gonna have, it appears we're going to have a really shitty world for our kids to come up in. But two, there's a lot of room at the top. There's a lot of room at the top for your kids, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're well with your kids, you know, it's just like, man, I was a junior high teacher for 10 years. We wouldn't even get into that. Like the degradation I saw in a decade of being a public school teacher was tremendous. We, we homeschool our kids now. I mean, I, you know, you don't become a public school teacher being pro homeschool. But 10 years of public school teaching, I was like, I'm going to teach my kids. <laughs> this is a, and we were in a great district, right? We were in one of the, like, one of the hardest districts to move in to get your kids into. And I still thought, like, holy shit, this is not going well. Well, it's, I mean, I think what, what people also realize too, and it's like, just like, um, uh, like anything is you can't trust, uh, school alone to educate your child. Just like no. you can't hope to send them there and be like, Hey, um, uh, I'm going to, you know, send my co or I'm, I'm going to send my kid off to learn how to fucking play football from the football coach. Mm-hmm. It's okay. like, it's almost like you got to supplement everything. Like I know sure. for us, like my little girls go to a really good Montessori school. Oh yeah. But, um, and dude, I, I did my master's in education and it was amazing. We had to uh, analyze grant proposals for charter schools and every one yeah. of them called the Montessori model. So I knew when I had kids, they'd, they'd go to Montessori. When yeah. they were cool. um, but really like, you know, what do we work on today? What's the curriculum? Are they coming home? Are we reinforcing it? You know, like sure. I don't sit there and teach my daughters to write and this. I mean, I remember two years ago when we went in, um, my daughters are almost five. My, 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 I remember the teacher being like, oh, uh, your one daughter's really struggling with writing. And I'm like, really? That's ironic because we work on it all the time and her writing's pretty good. And um, she was like, well, she's really struggling. And I was like, do you know she's left-handed? The teacher's like, no, I did not know she was left-handed. Uh, and I'm like, put the pencil in her, in her left hand because my other daughter, I have twins. Uh, one's right-handed and one's left-handed. Sure enough, uh, I get a call like probably two weeks later and she's like, totally fucked that up. Yeah. And so, I mean, as a parent, like I had already, you know, like figured out which one I was actually stoked one's left-handed and one's right-handed. That means a fucking good beach volleyball players, tennis players. There you go. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but like, you know, that type of observation as a parent and then like working on reading and like do all the little things. I mean, to me, like, you know, the school is almost where they go to like, you know, for social interaction and all those other things. Sure. The education part comes from me and what I provide for them and the opportunities I provide for them. And fucking sitting them down in front of a TV so they watch a bunch of stuff is, is fucking not learning. So nope, agreed. Nice. I think it was a great podcast. Uh, I do have one, <laughs> one question. I, sure. I feel is uh, relevant. So you said you had 110 starting strength coaches. So yes. my question is, how big is your starting strength staff that Ripito entrusts with your information to deliver it to his standard? Yeah. Uh, and you have a very high barrier of entry for people to even call themselves a starting strength coach. Yeah, there's, so, there's, so there's about seven of us that staff the seminars. Is that what you're asking? So yeah, yeah. So process for, for uh, kind of getting and trusting yeah. those seven. Yeah, so remember, Rip has no kids and is not married. So right. Rip's, Rip's child 
his starting strength and yeah, his striking true. mistress is going on the road and having, you know, weird drinking contests without a shirt on. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you know, it's always weird when you're a staff member and you're trying to talk about what separates the staff members from all the rest of the coaches. That I'll say this, there is not a starting strength coach in the world of the 110-ish that, are, that I would not trust to train my family to train my dad who has Parkinson's disease or my wife, I would train every, I would, I would trust every, they're all incredible coaches of those 110, you know, you've got some exceptional people that have that bring different things from different backgrounds of the, of those 110, you know, we have two or three that are, that are medical doctors, that are surgeons, that are top notch engineers. We've got a guy that's an engineer for Delta. Um, you know, my strength background and business background that's, that's I've come out of the, they kind of, so what he's really done, what Rip has done is he's tried to, he's pieced together for the staff, uh, coaches who bring something to the table that nobody else was able to bring. Right. So I'm the strong one, right? So I'm the guy that was like, uh, I'm the, you know, and, and, uh, and I'm the guy that ran the real successful business. And so those, that's kind of the void that I feel that we've got guys that are a surgeon and we've got a guy that's a general medical doctor. We've got a guy that's an engineer. We've got it. So when you're teaching physics or anything, and then what you've got to do is to, to really, to become a staff member, I, people ask me this all the time and say, well, how do I become a staff member? Well, all of us actually attended the seminar. At one point we were actually all sitting out there in the audience doing the seminar and you better crush it. I mean, we went in, we crushed it. We took the essay. I got a 99 on the essay, which at the time was the highest score in the history of the test. I think we've had a couple hundred since then. But, you know, that was, that's what you got to do. You can't take the test and get a 72 and be a staff member. He's not going to let somebody like – I mean, it's going to be somebody that absolutely crushes this, and that becomes staff member. So, you know, uh, Rip's a gatekeeper, and I, I think that's something like we've always talked about is that, you know, people are going to go out and they're going to, you know, be able to teach the method and hold themselves out as this. They got to be really good, I and mean, they got to be fucking awesome. Yeah. So they can't be average because then it just makes you look average. So, are there any – Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, ultimately, why did, I mean, I'm sure everybody's probably read this stuff about why Rip left CrossFit, but ultimately, Rip left, left CrossFit because he felt like CrossFit didn't have a good handle on quality control, right? That's really what it came down to. When it came down to the, the basic affiliate that anybody could pay a certain, you know, you pay your $3,000 affiliate fee, you pass your level one, congratulations, you're, you're a gym. Now, the thing is, it's funny about that is CrossFit has taken this libertarian mentality to come back to the, to the political standpoint. It's, they've taken a libertarian mentality. Look, look. The weak are going to get eaten. The strong are going to rise. The cream's going to rise to the top. And that's really essentially what we've seen. You see these, you've you got this influx of shitty CrossFit gyms the last several years. And now you're starting to see those over the last 18 months really start to die out. And the good ones kind of, the cream rises to the top. But I think Rip wanted his hands in it enough to go, look, I don't want to let that happen. I, I don't want anybody to hire a starting straight coach and have there be a shitty starting. So there isn't one. There isn't a bad starting straight coach. They're all incredible. And so he was able to maintain this incredible level of quality control. We're not going to drop the standard. As a matter of fact, over time, the standard has continued to go up. What, what was a test that would have gotten a 95% or 100% four years ago now would get a 75 because the standard has continued to go up, right? So, wow. yeah. Are there any parallels or pillars that you've you've been able to pick out that are consistent among the different backgrounds of these these seven? Uh, we've all done the program. We're all strong. I mean, look, how good of a coach can you be if you if you if you haven't? When you ask somebody to keep putting five pounds on the bar every single time, like when you you know if you've taken a guy who's again a normal let's say a normal forty year old guy who's never trained in his life and he's putting 335 or 340 on the bar for three sets of five and it's brutal and he gets all 15 reps he gets all three sets of five but it is it's rpe nine and a half rpe 10 sort of stuff and you go hey come back wednesday let's do it again but let's put five pounds on the bar <laughs> better know what that feels like like because being a good coach is part of it is about being able to sympathize with what they're going through right 
when you're ask, when your athletes are training in 105 degree heat and you've never trained in 105 degree heat, you, sure. you have no clue what you're asking. That was my big, my biggest deal with football coaches growing up is that you'd have these fat ass 410 pound football coaches making you run suicide sprints on the, on the hill and they've never run a suicide sprint. Like, look, that's, man, get that's up. why uh, for me, I have a hard time with the, when people say coach, people are like, Hey coach. I'm like, eh, I got this weird feeling about the term coach. Like, why is that? I'm like, this coach is usually the guy that was standing in his fucking short ass shorts with his whistle screaming at me while I was busting my ass. And I'm like, water is weakness. Yeah. Sure. yeah. yeah. Uh, that was my freshman football or sorry. My, yeah. my uh, varsity football coach in high school told us that water was weakness. Sure. And that, uh, um, I mean, we actually did conditioning before practice and we conditioned after practice and at various times during practice, we would condition. And like it was, but you got to the NFL, so it worked. Yeah. Why aren't we doing <laughs> this? Obviously, because the incredible coaching. This is the problem: is that you know people look at it, and you're like, I look at it like I, I somehow succeeded in spite of that shit. Sure. But uh, you know, and like that's that, that's part of my thing where people are like, coach, I'm like, you can fucking call me John. Like, uh, I still, in my mind, still think I'm an athlete, but I think like the day I on the fucking polyester bike shorts with the uh you know like the coach from uh, past times of Mitchell yeah. that's the coach <laughs> all day i'll take no, it no you won't <laughs> see i'm in the same boat with the word personal trainer i cannot i refuse people will say like i'm a, you know my trainer i will please don't please don't call me a trainer Animals have yeah, trainers. yeah that's the dude with the bosu ball under his arm with the you know with the polo dude. on with the name tag that says trainer i'm like that's that's the 18 year old kid at planet fitness that's not me Dude, I, I always joke that animals have trainers. So if you're a trainer, I'm like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. animals yeah. have trainers, dude. Uh, I'm here to like help you get better. I don't even know what that is. Yeah. I'm a, I want to be a performance <laughs> consultant. How about that? The problem is you, you have problems with both the term trainer and coach. So you got you've got nowhere to go. So. Well, it's because trainers also are fucking ATC's ankle uh, ankle yeah. trainers, which yeah. to me oh, are, are. I mean, what do they do? They tape ankles and ice yep. and you. That's it. So I'm yep. in, you know, I'm I'm fucked on everything. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah, I, I think Rip, I'll just, I'll end with this. I think Rip has done an incredible job of, you know, I, I didn't come on here to, to tout the, the greatness of starting strength. The reality is I've been in it longer than anybody else. So I, I think me and Tom Campitelli are the ones that have been coaches, starting strength coaches longer than anybody else and staff members longer than anybody else. And I'll, I'll tell you this, Rip is, he's true to his word. What you see is, John and I were talking about this before the show, what Rip, there's some crazy stuff about Rip. He's a nutso caricature, but that's really him. He's authentic. I'll tell you this. He loves what he does. He's a generous, he's a generous, pays well. He's, he is more serious about getting that information out into the masses than he is about making a buck. And he's made good money selling, selling starting strength. There's nothing wrong with that. But the reality is the content he's produced is on a level that nobody else has put out anything that good. And so he's developed a group of people. I mean, he, there are thousands and thousands of people who are almost cult-like starting strength followers. And I'll tell you this, what's, it, what's interesting about it is that the starting strength staff is not like that. We all come from different backgrounds. So I'm able to pull from my, from my powerlifting background and my strongman background. We've got people that are able to pull from their CrossFit background. And I'm not one of these guys that says every single word that's been in starting strength is 100%. It's the Bible. That's who I am. That's not it at all. I just go, look, this is the best content that's ever been put out there, right? There's one or two little things that Ripso Rip and I disagree about, but ultimately I agree more with him than, than anybody else I've ever heard. And his content's been incredible. And it's obviously now stood the test of time. The first edition of starting strength came out in 2005. So we're going 11 years now. It's 11 years. It's been the number one best-selling fitness book on Amazon. You go to Amazon right now, it's number one. 
right? And it has been. So that, that says something, right? Body for Life was huge. It came and went in two years. We all remember Body for Life back in the late 90s, right? This has still stood the test of time now for over a decade. And that, that has to say something. And so he's been able to keep the standard extremely high and even continue to increase it and make it better. And uh, he's really put something out, you know, something great out there. The seminars are great. Lots of people come take the seminars just for the info. You don't have to take the seminar just to be a coach. The info is incredible and, and the content is great. And, you know, I, I, had, I was already an elite level powerlifter and professional strongman when I took it for the first time and I still went and had my mind blown. And I, I've always been a student of the game. I mean, I, I've read two books a week and have for years and years and years. I've read everything that I can get my hands on. And I still showed up and was like, oh my God, this is some of the physics and biomechanics that he's doing. Nobody's ever done this before. So it's, it's a pretty ama- amazing organization to work for, for sure. Well, I mean, that's a solid testament uh, to Rip, but if people want to learn more about you, Matt, or even poke around Rip stuff, put, put people in the right direction. Where do they go? Yeah, sure. So I'm easy because I'm, I'm Reynolds Strong on everything. So I'm, my website is ReynoldsStrong.com. If you want to find out about my online coaching, I also do a lot of business consulting, again, from the success we had in the, in the gym industry back there. You can find out really everything you know at ReynoldsStrong.com. And then I'm Reynolds Strong on all the social media platforms on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all that kind of stuff on there. And then StartingStrength.com. Um, or starting strength that startingstrength.com will give you everything you know about starting strength and startingstrength.org will help you find a good starting strength coach in your area. So they've got all the starting strength coaches listed there by map and state and all that sort of fun stuff. So thanks for having me on guys. I really appreciate it. No, Matt, it was great, man. Yeah, no, it was our pleasure. Thank you very much. I'm glad we got to connect with you and, uh, talk, find another kindred spirit. It's always cool when we have uh, people on podcasts where, you know, like really, you know, you can kind of like, eh, fuck, dude, I can think of so many people that we've had on where I was like, oh, shit, this is kind of neat. And then you end up like connecting with them. You're like, how the fuck haven't we been friends? Yeah, yeah. sure. Like, yeah. I mean, that, that's the hilarious yeah. part. Like, uh, I, I can think of like 20 people where I'm like, fuck, how come I, I'm, I'm so sad I just met you now. Yeah. Yeah. Like, where were you 10 years ago? <laughs> we yeah. might die soon. So, yeah. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll connect for sure. So, you are you guys, you're outside of San Diego? Is that where you guys are? Uh, Newport Beach, uh, just yeah. south of LA between LA and San Diego. Okay. I'm, I'll actually, I'll, we'll connect after the show, but I'm, I'm actually in LA in like two or three weeks. So we'll see, we'll see what's going on out there. So kind of third week of August. So what are uh, you guys got a seminar? Yeah, we've got a seminar. I'm actually not working at this time. I'm actually doing the, you guys, the art of charm podcast. Those guys, the art of charms, a big, like 5 million download a month podcast. And the, one of their guys is one of my clients. I'm going to come out and work with him on some barbell training and, and work on some of that kind of stuff and come hang out at the seminar. But yeah, we've got a seminar out there at horn strength, which is, uh, just, just outside of LAX, right? Really close to LAX. We're going to do it. Oh, yeah. We're about 50 minutes from LAX. Uh, yeah. it's, it's really only about 30 miles. But it could be like 20 minutes or it could be three hours. Yeah, but that, that drive south of L.A., I love it, man. You get out there on the PCH and it's beautiful. You get going. That's the way you guys are, right? You're south, just south of L.A.? Yeah, yeah. yeah we're south of L.A., but you're yeah. talking like Long Beach and it's a fucking shithole. <laughs> I, got you. I still love that. Hey, where do I live? Where do I, I, I live in Missouri. I know, but, but like at least in Missouri, there was open space. Like there that's is. something that's fucking getting me. Like it's concrete like, jungle, it's, man, it's, from LA to San Diego. Well, like the, the other day I was sitting on the 405 and uh, I count seven lanes uh, yeah. either side and it was bumper to bumper and everyone. And I'm just yeah, sitting there like, yeah. seven fucking lanes. It's 14 lanes of traffic. It's bumper to bumper everywhere. Yeah. And it was like a Saturday at noon. Yep. And there was no accident. Nothing. <laughs> I literally was like, there better be some fucking dead body. And sure enough, nothing. I'm like, fuck. Yeah. yeah. So, so we got going for us. Well, cool, man. Thank you. All right, man. Take care, buddy. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thanks for having me on. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Coach Matt Reynolds can be found all over social media under his stage name, at Reynolds Strong. And if you've never heard of starting strength, then you've never actually Googled how to get strong. 
You can always donate to the Mark Ripito Blue Cheese and Wine Relief Fund by buying his book on Amazon. And don't forget, people, Wade's Army's fifth annual Wade's Day campaign has officially kicked off. From now until November 12th, we will be honoring the brave pediatric cancer patients battling neuroblastoma, a tumor derived from immature nerve cells. For 2016, we're embracing their valor and highlighting their nerves of steel. Join the fight against neuroblastoma and help us reach our goal of fundraising $125,000. Enlist today at wadesarmy.org by clicking the Donate Now badge and claim your limited edition Wade's Army uniform. Every army needs a uniform. Until next time, bye!